0: Do you think it's safe to ask them?
1: Hear me! All you hosts gathered here!
2: <laughs> Kill everyone now! Condone first-degree murder! Advocate cannibalism! Eat shit!
3: Well, I think we're about
4: ready. Quiet, everyone! Felt their my politics! Felt is my life!
0: From the whispers of the damned, deep within the bowels of hell, Welcome to Astro Radio Z.
5: Welcome to 2020 and another episode of Astro Radio Z. Vaughn and Evan are back with me. How was the new year for each of you, Vaughn? How were you doing and how was your New Year's?
6: Uh, my New Year's was fine. I was bed by like 11.15, uh, so a good New Year's.
5: Congratulations. You have graduated to being an
6: adult now. <laughs> I know. No, Well, everybody else I knew was called <laughs> at midnight, like 12.15. <laughs> I got like 45 calls. It's like, oh, my God, please, people. <laughs>
5: I don't even think it's a badge of honor to make it to New Year's or or even to like make it to midnight and just go, oh, oh, it's the new year. Big fucking whoop. Evan, do you stay up all night waiting for the New Year's or you just say, fuck it. I'm a goddamn grown ass adult. And I'm going to bed.
7: That's it. I was I was in bed by 10. <laughs>
5: <laughs> I wish I could say the same thing. I had a house full. I had like 10 kids Sitting up, drinking sparkling grape juice, tooting on fucking horns at midnight until almost two in the morning. And I was like, what the fuck have I done? What is going on here? It was madness. I was ready to go to bed at 10. (laughs) You had like a vicarious New Year's, though. I'm living through you guys. (laughs) now i'm going to retroactively think about how you guys had new year's and fuck my no my new year's was actually really (laughs) nice it was i spent it with my girlfriend her kids my kids a lot of fun here we are we only have three episodes left of our andy milligan journey and uh i got something to admit to you boys oh no that i said this to evan off air Mm -hmm. i finally got the book i'm two chapters into the ghastly one
6: Oh, so you got the old like soft cover book, then not the eight hundred dollar expensive one that's coming out.
5: I found the ebook version of this. Oh, there's no way I was going to pay the eight hundred dollars that they want for a goddamn hardcover or soft cover. I mean, go to amazon it costs like 50 bucks to get a copy of that book right now
6: well the only thing is i would want to pick up that book especially this nice one they're putting out it's because they're because as a special feature for the pre-orders you get like a book with all his fucking scripts in it and i would love to fucking do like you know like get a bunch of people together and do like a big script reading that'd be great like oh it be amazing and, re- and record it just to see how like if 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 the gas if what was it um what is it if like the bloody butchers is more than six pages like it's just like come on like <laughs>
5: Uh, you you really think any of these movies weren't completely
6: scripted to the hilt? You think this was all you think especially wow. that movie that it was that it was ad-libbed? Well House and House of Seven Bells that we're gonna be talking about tonight is definitely a heavily scripted film because they were not making an up day <laughs> by day. But like but like I want to see the pages where it's like photocopies of like, you know, bar napkins of shit written on them, like six or seven hundred pages of just bar napkins. Photocopied bar napkins, okay. <laughs> I have pictures.
7: I had that yeah. book in my, in a, in my cart. I was ready to purchase it. And, uh, the ship, holy shit. no, the ship, the overseas shipping costs pushed it over. I already, I already faced the fact that I was going to spend a hundred dollars. And then it was like $27 for shipping. I was like, Nope. <laughs>
5: For a book that you're gonna read once and then it's gonna be filed way yeah. in the back of your bookshelf to never be seen again. Yeah,
7: yeah. Next to my Stephen like, Thrower books that are unread.
5: Yeah. So so far, two chapters in, I'm really digging this book. Way more interesting than the movies. Hey. Has to be. Hey, shut up. Who are you? Wait. Well, Regardless, tonight, folks, if you can't read and you haven't seen the title of this episode, we're going to be covering not two movies, but three Andy Milligan movies tonight. Carnage from 1984, Legacy of Blood from 1978. Actually, I kind of lied. We're going to be also covering we're going to be talking briefly about a TV pilot that he made called The Adventures of Red Rooster from 1984 Fresh and The House of Seven Bells from 1979 God The more we do this show the more Andy Milligan we're finding and I have a feeling this is going to be a bottomless pit this is just like (laughs) the boys who keep fucking telling me there's new Puppet Master movies out there and I keep telling them fuck you no I'm not doing any more Puppet Master on Astro Radio Z. Eat a dick it's not happening
7: it's like a mathematical asymptote you approach but never reach the end
5: oh my god by the end of this all of the lost movies will be found Mm -hmm. and we'll be doing the rest of andy milligan's filmography until i'm 60 years old seems that way that is the curse of astro radio z if this show has taught me anything the moment i seek to close out a filmography or a film series they're going to make five more or they're going to discover 20 more so that's just how it is but tonight we're going to be talking about all of those gimmicks so first we're going to sit and take a break and listen to mr daniel Edenfield talk about some weird werewolf nonsense so stick around
1: I'm Daniel, this is the bottom rack. And boy, have I got a good one for this episode. Got a few, actually. It's been pretty cool lately. I, I got a good one for you. All right. Years ago, I rented this movie from the mom and pop store, the local mom and pop. Did I? I can't remember. It was either that or I rented it from um movie gallery. It was, you know, our chain store, I think. They they ended up being big. What well, it doesn't matter. This was a direct to video flick and it was pretty easy to rent because it was not rated. (laughs) So uh, I rented this. Let's see, it must have just, it it hadn't been in the theater or in the movie store for very long when I got it. But anyway, it was a Friday night. Y'all know how Friday nights went. And for those of you who don't, back in the day, that was awesome. It was just you go get you some pizza, go to Pizza Hut and uh mom would take me to a movie gallery and i'd rent a movie or two and rent a game for let's see it was 95 so it was probably something from a super nintendo or maybe uh anyway i don't know (laughs) as i wax nostalgic the movie is called project metal beast and boy this this is a treat if if you've seen this, you're probably just grinning now because it was a surprise or, you know, it's just crappy. But, you know, it, regardless, it's a wonderful flick. I happen, I love this movie. This movie was freaking awesome. Project Metal Beast it came out in 1995. It stars Kim Delaney, Barry Bostwick, and Kane Hodder. Uh, it was directed by Alessandro de Gatano and... Uh, that's about all I know. So let me go ahead, give you the IMDB synopsis here, uh, because I forgot to pull up Google (laughs) regardless. This synopsis should be pretty cool. But anyway, let's see if I can, let's set some mood here. And in 1974, an unhinged CIA agent injects himself with the werewolf blood he found. After a killing spree, his body is put in suspended animation. Been thawed out 20 years later by his crazy boss and a team of unsuspecting doctors. <laughs> man, man. I mean, it was all right. Let's take a look at the cover. <laughs> the cover for now, the name on here, okay, it's it's uh, it doesn't say project, it's like the name just says Metal Beast. And the name of the movie is Project Semicole or Project Colon Metal Beast. So whatever, however you want to say it, whatever. On this cover, this bad boy, it's all black. The simplicity of it is cool. So it's very reminiscent of The Howling, where it's all black. You got a little bit of a blue spotlight in the center. And you've got some, uh, let's see, the title up at the well, not the title, but up at the top, you've got taglines. They wanted a soldier as hard as steel. They created a creature that could not be destroyed. And in the wall, it says restricted in your military stencil, whatever. then you got claws ripping down this bad boy. And you've got a wolf ripping through like a very stylized, very glimmering metallic. You just see his teeth and a red eye. And under it, the title of the movie, Metal Beast. The title is effective. I mean, I'm telling you, look at this. It's like I'm expecting certain things out of this flick. I'm expecting to see a werewolf. It'd be pretty cool if he was metal or something like that, or if there was some heavy metal playing. I don't know why they call it metal beast, I don't know. But you got Project Metal Beast, nice <laughs> nice awesome cover. And we just delve right into the flick. The movie just I made some notes about it as I'm watching it. It's go ahead and get the bad out of the way. It's not high budget. <laughs> So the pacing is a little bit off with the film. I mean budget doesn't really have anything to do with it. I guess it might just be because it's and not as an insult, maybe an amateurish attempt or whatever. Regardless, it just you'll you'll know what I mean. It's like they're the movie chugs along and then all of a sudden it'll just kind of stop with like nothing. And then it'll pick back up And it'll have, you know, more bouts of nothing. It kicks off very awesome, like very intriguing. I'm in, okay, because it starts out, you get the little military thingy, the typeset set at the bottom, of the like that is. I gotta find out how to do that or what that's called. Anyway, that stencils out and it says Operation Lycanthropus, like and it's in the Carpathian Mountains. And it's like just at the beginning of the movie, they tell you that the special force team was sent in to get a sample of werewolf's blood. What? Okay, <laughs> whatever <laughs> whatever the rest of this movie is. Let me assure you, I'm in it. Okay, <laughs> when you give me a premise like that, I, seriously, I don't care what the rest of your movie is about. I'm gonna watch this. They, you've got me. You, <laughs> you have definitely the uh, title. You had my attention, and now you or like before you had my interest. Now you got my attention. That uh, yeah. That, that, anyway, so they're going for a sample of werewolf blood. So they're going in the woods, and it's like. There, it, it's of course it's at night. They're in the woods. They sneak into a castle, like this old gothic-looking castle thing, and you hear the wolves in the background. And then a werewolf comes out while they're in the catacombs. They kill the sucker. Well, of course the werewolf kills one of the guys, but then the other guy gets the werewolf. So anyway, you fast forward. He goes back to like turn in the sample information, whatever. He ends up they're they're wanting to whatever company. The private company—I don't know if they're a military contracting company or whatnot—but I don't believe it was the actual military. But whatever, they want that werewolf blood. They want to synthesize it, you know, to make their their super soldier program type thing. Anyway, the guy injects himself with it, so he's got the werewolf blood in him, and then they put him in suspended animation or whatnot, and then you know, twenty years later out he pops and he's mutating again and the trick is see he's a werewolf so like it's all the little werewolf things but he's been synthesized kind of sort of so he's got like this turbo armor thing or whatever Anyway, went Kane Hodder plays the metal beast, like he's wearing the suit or whatnot. So he's huge. And Barry Bostwick is in it and he's a jerk and he's funny and he's not really funny in the movie, but if you're familiar with other Barry Bostwick roles, it's still kind of funny <laughs> to watch it, to see him in it. It just, on and on, let's see. Um, I know I'm rambling sort of and trying not to. It's got nice gore. Uh So pretty decent gore, actually. Uh The creature effects are... <laughs> the creature effects in this thing, the werewolf is awesome. They're good and terrible, goofy at the same time. There are parts where it's done really well. Like the. Let me put this, the metal beast is awesome. The werewolves, not so much. So like at the beginning, the werewolves, there are parts, whenever it does it, kind of like Jaws. You know how like you never saw that much of it and it was really cool. Okay, that's what they should have done with this. It's cool until you actually see it. And then it's not really <laughs> not really. But again, forgivable. Like totally forgivable as the movie moves along and especially when the Metal Beast comes out, it's totally forgivable. So I'm willing to- Oh yeah, and the movie has a surprise dingling. So Fans of that, you might be happy to note that whenever Dude is in his little suspended animation chamber, you sit there, you get a nice long shot. Pardon, pun. Nice long camera just stays on and you, yeah, see it in all its full glory. The orchestral score is actually surprising. It is like high quality, high quality orchestra. Like it's a full on orchestra. I mean, it sounds like John Williams or something. It's, I say that because it's kind of out of place. Whenever you watch this film, you would expect to have, you know, like your synthy, more synthesizer, low budgety fare. No, this thing's using like a full-on symphonic score. It would, it, it's good. I'm not saying it's bad at all. (laughs) It just seems kind of out of place. Uh, that I mean, that's my only critique. Is cool. It is what it is. If I had done it, I would have gone with a more synthy thing. So that's just me. But again, that's just personal flavor, personal taste. Regardless, Project Metal Beast. You may have seen this. I know for a while. I'm I'm thinking this might be like a cult classic or whatever. Or purveyors or connoisseurs of the type of material that we here at Astro Radio Z like to frequent. You've probably seen this, but I still want to do it anyway because I watched it. And if you haven't seen this, like I really just totally recommend Project Metal Beast. Go and check it out. This one, um, I can't remember. I <laughs> This is one of those films. In no way am I ever condoning piracy or whatever. I got this years ago. I started looking around for flicks like before they basically before Scream Factory, the before Shout Factory, before they started, you know, finding these old flicks and bringing them out. I would go through and torrent like old VHS films that I couldn't find on DVD. So the most notable of this, I have Project Metal Beast and I have uh, Necronomicon Book of the Dead. Uh, I got a couple others too. Mainly, it's just, it, I mean, you know, I'll admit I've torrented all kinds of flicks, whatever. It is what it is. But I make it a habit now, you know, not doing that when and where I can, especially indie flicks. But this one, I don't know if you're going to be able to find this one uh, on Blu ray or anything. And of course, I haven't checked too recently. Regardless, I had this a while back just because I thought it was in VHS hell. And it may still be. Regardless, if you can find this flick, watch it. It's fun. It's cool. And you'll find something to enjoy about it. Trust me. So anyway, this has been The Bottom Rack. I am Daniel, and I will holler at y'all later. Thanks for listening.
0: Like a charming house, but they should have known that a house designed by Andy Milligan, master of the macabre, would be a little different and very dangerous.
8: There's something about this house, John.
0: This house is not very hospitable. It's trying to kill. It will kill. There will be carnage and a few other strange moments. in all the excitement
5: carnage welcome back folks the first movie of the night we're going to be talking about is a very unlikely film that i didn't think i was going to ever see in andy milligan's filmography an amityville horror haunted house gimmick called carnage that he made in 1984 the plot of this thing is as follows Carol and Jonathan, a newlywed couple, move into their new house, which is haunted by the ghosts of another newlywed couple who committed suicide in the house three years earlier. As they go around and clean the house up, things fly off shelves, doors open and close, and the worst kind of parlor trick nonsense happens for an <laughs> hour and a half. Welcome to Andy Milligan's haunted house movie, <laughs> made for an estimated thirty-two thousand dollars, Carnage is a noticeable step up from the vast majority of the films that we've seen so far from Andy Milligan. Vaughn, had you ever seen Carnage before?
6: Yes, I've seen it before. I've seen, I've seen. Like I said, I've seen most of these films before. Um, and I think the first time I saw it, I wasn't particularly blown away. But watching this this time, I'm like, holy shit, this is number one. This is the top of the fucking list. Um, Holy shit. What changed that made it number one? Uh, I don't know. I think it was just the mood I was in at the time when I was watching it. I wasn't like, you know, I was just like, I just wanted something silly. And this was just right up there because it is. It's goofy as hell. It's definitely like, you know, um, people in the people outside the frame with like really thin wire, like piano wire, like you know, fishing line. fine put moving shit around, <laughs> you know,
5: it is kind of like Andy Milligan. Predating Paranormal Activity,
6: yeah, by about 20, 30 years. <laughs> and the woman to play, and the and the woman who plays the you know our main protagonist, who's going to be in another piece of stuff we'll be talking about tonight. I think she's fucking wonderful. Even though like I've read some reviews where she's like, well, she's not really like made for film. And I'm like, what are you talking about? She's not made for film. Like she looks like any kind of actress you'd see like in the in the mid '80s on all those cheap films that were made back then. I think the the one thing that really works with the film is that it's an overall. You know, you have all these characters on it. You have you have her father and his landlady. Uh, you know, always like his, I guess. Like housekeeper or something. Housekeeper, yeah. Martha, who Martha's constantly like, just sell the house. Just get out of the house. There's a devil in there. Sell the house.
5: <laughs> <laughs> I love that part.
6: She's she's such
5: a pleasant individual. The typical Milligan old lady that is just fucking nasty as shit. <laughs> yeah. Her husband is just this dude that sits around drinking
6: no, scotch all day in his fucking they're, like so They're silk. not even married. They're not he's like he's like, like like Evan said, she's the housekeeper. The mother died like a long time ago. And so the, who is this? dude that she's always with that's the guy that's the woman our our main our main uh female character's father she keeps call, calling him on the phone and checking in on him and you know that he's when she says to sell the house he's like you can see he's shooting daggers at her because he's like i don't want to move back in this house don't like fuck what are you doing don't she's not she's not selling the house she just bought the house like it's like
7: i think I, the- I think you're confused with there are you Derek? you're talking about the mother who we get this sort of meaningless side plot where the mother and daughter are yelling
5: at each other <laughs> for like 10 minutes. No, 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 that's a complete... There's there's like two separate B plots to this fucking movie. The A plot is the couple that literally just walk around looking at stuff in their house and make tea. That's the
6: vast majority of this movie. And sleep and not have sex with each other, which the, the wife of that couple is so pissed off every time he passes out, and every time they fall asleep. <laughs>
5: Well Mr. Mustache husband turns down sex constantly. all the time. Uh, man. He looks like I mean, Gomez you, Adams. There you go. <laughs> if Gomez Adams made eighties
6: direct to video porno, that would be this guy. Yeah. If Lee if Lee Hazelwood and uh John Aston had a kid, this would be that guy. <laughs> but like yeah, you have that side plot with the father and the landlord lady, you have her friend and her bitchy, like waspy mother. Who is like you know you're pregnant? You should tell your husband. And she's like, "Well, I'm not going to tell him yet." And like she tells some people. Um, and the great thing about that husband is he's obsessed with taking baths in other people's houses, which I just love. Um,
7: <laughs> you know, I never that never even occurred to me as 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 being weird, but it's really weird. <laughs>
6: He goes to his friend's house for housewarming and stays the night, and he tries to go take a bath twice within a couple of hours and fucks up both times. And it's like, what is wrong with you? Like, really? And in one of those sequences, the fucking
5: ghost, there's like an accordion playing while <laughs> yeah. he's taking a bath.
7: Yeah, and- the music, it's accordion yeah. and harmonica.
6: Yeah, it's like... But not- <laughs> But played by played by somebody who doesn't know how to play either of those instruments, which is just hysterical. And the fact that the first time he tries to get in the bath, it's like scalding hot and he's almost going to get burned. And then he's like, oh, I'll try this again. And then, you know, he, he he enters, he uh he finds his ultimate demise, which I think is probably one of the better kills in this film. You know, especially the shot like they, they, he gets killed by the, the radio he's put just right next to the tub, accidentally falling in because of the ghosts and electrocuting him. And I love that cut. When it shows him in the water, like making the weirdest face under the water. And I'm like, how did, he, <laughs> yeah. how did his body get under the water like that? It's not a 40 foot tub. It's like, he's barely, like his knees are like hitting against the front, the back wall. So it's like, how the fuck did he end up like in that tub like that? I, I love the way this film is put together, how kind of goofy and off the wall and how it's, how it's kind of like a drinking game with him. You get all the buttons checked. You know what I mean? You get goopy, mm-hmm. goofy dialogue. You get no sex. You get hand amputations. <laughs> you get weird side plots that go nowhere.
5: You get very catty older women that are, if it's either the, the really older lady talking to the one older guy who's constantly in the silk bathrobe drinking whiskey, or you get the other side plot of the younger girl and this mom yep. who who is basically the biggest asshole on
6: earth to oh her. God. She is, yeah, she is a, a pure on wasp, like wasp but
5: well there's like gr- she she basically the, the girl calls the mom a whore and, te- yes. and then she tells the daughter to shut up and it just you're yeah. this typical andy
6: milligan like nobody can speak decently to each other whatsoever no yeah it's it, it's beautiful because it's just it, it it's it's just like an id for him that no one is nice everybody's got no filter um, and it's just, it works so well and the thing is I think this works the best out of all of his films because it doesn't seem like he's holding back you know what I mean like the house is definitely his like or he's borrowing someone's house is that the same house that we see in all these films or um, is this a different home I can't remember because it's shot like this film is actually shot properly the woman who works in the basement of, his, of the husband's building that is going to the house to tell the wife something but we never find out what it is and she never gets to tell anybody because she gets killed before she has a chance to ever tell anybody what she's there for and like it's like, wait, why did where was this character introduced? Oh, just a killer with a with a, a flying axe. Which that scene is hilarious because you get this. one the, of the best yeah. scenes yeah, in the, the axes, entire movie. And the you know head comes off, and the head that falls down the stairs is clearly a fucking mannequin head. You know, to the point where you can actually see the like the the little slot in the neck where it attaches to the the mannequin body. Uh, and then as she falls to the ground, it goes a little twitch, and then all of a sudden it cuts to her head on the ground, like you know out in the street or some shit. And it, it's. It's bizarre. Like the, there's two versions of this film online. There's a version on YouTube, and then there's a version you can if you pay for net uh, for you pay for Amazon, you can actually watch this film on Prime, um, and it's the full version. Um, the one on you for reason the one on YouTube cuts out that first scene, you know where the uh, the couple are in their wedding gowns. Oh, um, the suicide scene. Yeah, they cut that out, and it goes right just the carnage, and it just goes right into them moving into the house. Hmm. And, Another thing I love about this film is that the girl, the, the girl who's like kind of hanging out in this house the whole damn time, doesn't notice everything flying around her and moving on her. Like especially when she's on the phone with her mother or with her father, and she's standing there and all the candle and all the candle holders and the candelabras are moving around the table, and she's like not even paying attention to it. And the only time she gets worried is when the phone has accidentally been hung up. When she clearly ran past the phone and said, "Hey, Dad, I'm gonna I gotta go get something." Like she's screaming at the phone from the you know it's sitting there on the on the counter. It's like, are you serious? You couldn't just pick it up and say that that line really quick? No, you just have to scream it at the phone. <laughs> like, what the fuck? But there's so many wacky fucking things going on in this film that it just really bumps it up to number one for me because it's, you know, the acting's good. I love the acting. And then there's so many quirky little things going on. And the parent scene, like, like you have the two side plots with the father and the landlord and the landlady. And you have the, the mother and her shitty daughter and the, you know, the parents are so kind of shitty towards their own kids, even though the father's like, Oh, just take care of it. I'll, I'll be there in a little bit. And he doesn't want his daughter moving back at home for nothing. Every time she's on the phone with him, or every time she talks to him, it just feels like he wants her out of the house regardless. He doesn't want, like, he's happy to finally be alone in his own home. I mean, he has to deal with the, the maid, but like, he's actually in that house by himself now. Even having said this though,
5: it, there's all this, this crazy stuff. This has to be the most easily digestible film that he's done to date because it feels it feels entirely focused. And one thing leads from the other. Evan, of all the films that we've watched so far, how does this stack up for you? I mean, this was an extremely easy watch compared to some of the other ones we've had to endure.
7: I agree. It's uncharacteristically simple, which is nice. It's just a simple ghost story. With a couple diversions that are unneeded, like we mentioned. But one thing that that does for me is it makes it a little long. Um, I think that there's a bunch of scenes that could have been, I, I would say, like 10, 15 minutes could be cut out, maybe even more. Because you have, like, for instance, the first night that they're spending there you have this scene where the gas uh, yeah. automatically turns on in the, in the oven <laughs> and it just, the camera just pans around with no lights and it shows like the windows slowly closing. And then it, and then after setting that up, it doesn't even show him wake up. It just cuts to the next day and the, and the, uh, the oven repair man is there saying, well, there's nothing wrong with this. This is a good model. And it's, and well, it's- see,
5: I thought I thought what the, was going to happen there is that we were going to be treated to a series of blunders of people that would buy this house oh, and then yeah. the house would kill them and hmm. we'd get another people, group of people <laughs> coming in here. But instead, that doesn't happen. So the house, the ghost turns on the fucking the oven and it fills the house full of gas. And nothing happens. Right. <laughs> <laughs> they go to sleep And they get a, they get a headache the,
7: the ghost was foiled by the guy Apparently having woken up
6: Yeah <laughs> And it's like and it's all and it's in like typical Milligan, it's all the wife's fault. It's all the woman's fault. She's like, well, you know these these things can be cl- hard to close, like hard to shut off. Are you sure you shut it off? And she's like, I shut it off. I only used it to make tea. We didn't even eat dinner in here. Like <coughs> like seriously. And that guy. And it's like you can just see the guy's face is like, ugh, women. Like Jesus Christ. So one you of know, the other things,
7: the one of the other things I noticed about this is that where are the bodies? I mean, we have, we have two, we have two, uh, house invaders that that, that sneak into the basement. They get killed. We got the woman who was, um, delivering a message, um, that gets
6: killed on the front porch. Uh, and we see nothing of it. Instead of wasting so much time with the friggin with the gas leak thing, that would have been nice if somebody actually went downstairs in the basement and saw bodies somewhere just piled up. That's that what I nice. thought.
7: That's what I thought was going to be the end, like the end of yeah. like a slasher or something when all of the bodies are revealed, but no, they're just gone. And it's no. like, it's not even just that the ghosts are cleaning up after themselves. Um, we have the last death or the next to last death of the priest. Yeah. Oh, and it's like, Wonderful. Who's going to oh. believe that he like what happened to him? Like these guys are they they're not getting <laughs> investigated at all?
5: Well, we're not even going to get into the fact that this the uh- how this movie ends let's let's hold off for a little bit before we get to the weird smash cut as to how this fucking movie ends with that priest
6: but the great thing about that is that is that yeah the priest gets hit in the head with a fucking cleaver out of nowhere like it just flies in the air and smacks him in the head and then they're like and what does the husband think is the best thing to do let's just fucking take our shit and go home let's leave i don't i don't care about the house anymore just go yeah no one's gonna believe that we that this freaking that accidentally this cleaver just flew out of nowhere and hit him in the head And it's like, it's like, he's, he's, you know, and the woman's just like, wait, no, we have to. And he's like, no, 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 fuck it. Just get your pants and let's go. I don't care. Like, go get your boxes. Let's go. You know, it's like, it's like, what the fuck? The great thing is that they use the, another, you know, Andy trait is that the woman is the baddest one of the two, even though clearly we have a couple who kill themselves. You think the guy would have popped up. I guess he couldn't speak because he has no lines in the film. Uh, (laughs) Because Andy was like, "Uh, yeah, don't know. You can just look good in the suit, and we'll show you occasionally, but that's it. You know, and the the woman is the one who kind of constantly pops up, and you know her her death look is pretty kind of normal. She's in a wedding gown with blood kind of dripping out from a hole in her head down to her chest. And she just causes fucking havoc like every time people see her.
5: The the, the idea of of this, of the man being subservient to the woman is something that Milligan speaks towards in his autobiography or in the in uh, the ghastly one is that he he grew up in a house in which his dad was extremely subservient to his mom and his mom was the tyrant around the house. And in every subsequent relationship, his dad was ever in his dad was very kind of mousy about things. So when you start watching some of these things in his movies, it's very clear that almost every single one of his movies is just a testimonial to the things that had happened in his life. So the the couple in this movie, which, as we had said, the the females in both the ghost uh, portions of this and in uh, the reality portions of this film, the women are far stronger than any of the men <laughs> in this movie. And the men are almost fucking useless in this movie completely. And even more useless is the ghosts. Just in general, the ghosts, what do they do? They move They, they move some tea around. They turn on a record player. They, they make prank calls. They open and shut windows. Uh they move paper around and move candelabras and and scream and create and create fog and it isn't until a, probably a good like 45 minutes into this movie until they really start actually creating havoc because the first hour of this movie is mostly these people just kind of hanging out. And, and, and then some stuff is yeah. moving around. <laughs> there's, there's not a ton that goes on. It, it sounds like we're making it sound like there's it's, a you know, a, a mile a minute kind of movie. But it's really not. It's a very methodically based film, which, which does ape, like we said in the beginning, the Amityville horror, where you have these certain tropes from ghost movies that you never would have figured Milligan would even want to bother with. Because it doesn't concern a bunch of people screaming at each other the entire time. It's mostly atmospherics, which totally blew my fucking mind that Milligan would even attempt a movie like this. Mm. It it isn't until like partially the way through when all of a sudden they host a housewarming party that a group of other people even show up into this fucking
7: movie. So I was gonna comment the first the first death was actually pretty good. Good, which was the uh woman they hired to clean the basement. Yes, uh, mm-hmm. she goes. Uh, she goes down into the basement, and the ghosts start doing their, you know, throwing light objects at her, and
5: uh, <laughs> which is obviously somebody off-screen just yeah. throwing
6: shit, tossing in little arcs <laughs> towards them. Um, yeah, Milligan throwing friggin' paper and shit at right. this poor woman. <laughs> she- it's but she, hilarious but she gets out and they and they
7: take her to um like a psychiatrist <laughs> or something i don't know she's in a bed in
6: a she, in it's no a doctor she's, she's, back back her house. Her. she's back at her apartment and they bring her to a doctor the doctor's like well she's canatonic oh well right and, <laughs> the,
7: and, and the ghost is still with her saying get get out of my house and she should have said i am i'm out of your house but the yeah. um she gets up and 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 finds a you know which is nice, nice to have in a medical uh, <laughs> medical room where you have a bed. She goes into the bathroom, finds a straight razor, and, <laughs> and, and then uh, you know, with a with a real creepy smile on her face, she slits her own throat. Which is which a, is a pretty, pretty
5: grotesque funny. scene for for a Milligan movie. It's actually one of the more grotesque things that's ever been in one of his movies. Yeah, definitely. Good. As we had stated before, the production value on this thing. Is is through the roof. Compa- I, let's, I mean, compared wow. to some of the other things that we've watched from this point on. I think, at least with the movies that we're going to be talking about tonight, mm-hmm. there seems to have been a shift in his filmmaking ability from some of the earlier movies. Which, I mean, admittedly, Milligan started off as somebody who dealt with um, theater. And he filmed his movies very close to theater productions, whereas mostly people just standing in front of a camera and, you know, acting out what was going on. Now, in these movies, the camera's jumping all over the place, even during dialogue sequences in ways that before weren't even fathomable in Milligan movies. We would just literally sit there on a two-shot for five minutes (laughs) in some of the – but in this one – it almost felt like maybe he had to coach some of the actors through these scenes and that maybe facilitated some of these camera moves to try and mask edits. But um it, uh-huh. it kind of makes the movie move a lot quicker
6: than it than it necessarily is because you're not bored by what you're looking at. One thing is, I think the problem is, is that he always picks like one time actors. You can definitely tell that there are certain people where it's like because he doesn't move the camera either. It sits right there in, in one shot. If he has to go to another area of the the house, it's going to cut to another room. You know, he doesn't know how to transition. He, you know, he doesn't even know how to use the zoom. Like I said, he fucking can't figure out how to zoom out from the top spire of the house to back down to the fucking street level. And it's like it's got like, cut, 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 cut. It's like what the fuck um the one thing i love about about the couple like when they go the friends go visit they don't want to go visit you know you notice that that none of the friends want to actually go to this fucking housewarming party it's the shortest party in every film he's ever had because most of the parties are 65 feet long time and they're fucking reading wills like another movie we're going to talk about tonight um (laughs) it's like what the fuck you know it's it's interesting
7: one of the so the woman the the friend who is who has established that she's just found out she's pregnant. She hasn't even told her husband yet. And that that comes out, I think, in her big argument with her mother. That whole thing is so tangential to the story. And I'm wondering, like, why did he put that in there? Is he trying to uh, establish empathy with those characters so that we'll feel even worse when she falls?
6: It's not even, well, that, plus it's not even like she's really in peril. Her husband gets killed, like, you know, much more severely than what happens to her. And then we have a whole scene with his funeral, which is like, what the fuck? Why do we have this scene for this funeral? Like, we just met the guy two seconds ago when he was obsessed with taking a bath. It's like, why do we care? Like, the guy was a dillweed. Like, what? Why? You know, like. Any of the B plots
5: in this movie could have easily been cut out. This could have been so much better if it was like blood where it was just streamlined And it didn't need
6: all of these side tangential. I will will disagree with you on the B plot on the, 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 her mother, the father and the, the, uh, the housewife, the housemaid, you know, I will, I keep fucking this up. Yeah. That's Um, that's good. I I think that, that was, that worked really well. I don't, the, the girlfriend and her mother, even though the, the actress he got for the mother was pretty good as a waspy bitch you know what I mean? But the father, the, the whole time we get the father, even when he's on the phone, like when she comes in with all the bags and he's like, what do you need help? And he's like, no, I got, and she's, and she's so fucking like bitchy to him. He's like, no, I got everything. Get out of the way, get out, get out of the way. Come on, come on, move your fat fuck. Get out of the way. Let me get into the kitchen. You know what I mean? And it's like, it's like that all those scenes are great i'd watch i watch it 20 minutes short of them to just arguing just super cut all those scenes of just them in the film and i'd watch that constantly
7: you you know what i love so the scene when she's talking to her father on the phone we mentioned it before the maid says she just walks through and she says sell the house there's a devil (laughs) in it then she she leaves leaves the room she and, and and she comes back in she says there's a devil in that house sell it it's a real matter of fact. And then later, later on in the movie, when the main character, the wife, she's consulting with the priest. Yeah. He says, she says, is there anything we can do about this situation? He says, "You can sell the house. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's the, the, there's just the matter of fact advice of everyone, I think yeah. is funny. There's,
6: Get the fuck out! Like, yeah. And so, can we talk about the ending? Like, so, like the priest gets killed, right? And they decide, fuck it, we're not going to be able to, you know, you know, cops come to look for this, we're not going to be able to figure and answer this. Oh wait, let
7: me let me break in there. You, I, I thought that that is the only interpretation to apply to it, but the movie does not tell that story at all.
6: No, you're right. I mean,
7: I have to, I have to uh, project that as a motivation because. The, the body just disappears and they are not yeah. like, we got to get out of here. They're like, it looks like they have a real, um, you know, reasoned debate about it and they, it's, yeah. it's deliberative but, and, and then they just decide kind of sadly that they have to leave.
6: And she's definitely on the fence still. Because as he's going to the car and like bringing something to the car and waiting in the car for her, she's still like, Oh, eh. and then the ghost. Well, keeps. she has an extended sequence where she's talking to the ghost. Well, that's and the what ghost. Getting she has yeah. like, she hands and haws. And then the ghost goes, you need to leave. And like, no, she's, she's like, like says, well, we we don't are. Leave. she says, first she tells her she needs to leave. And he's like, well, we are. And then she's like, wait, well, no, you don't have to leave. And then she's like, well, okay, but we want to, we are going to leave. Cause you, you know, and they're like, well, as long as you don't change anything in the house, Like that's what the the woman the ghost tells her is like as long as you don't change anything in the house you can stay right and then the husband gets pissed off because he's waiting in the car for like ten minutes because that's how long in real time in the film time it's been going on for ten minutes. Goes back into the house, and you know the wife goes, "Hey, we can stay." They say we don't have to change anything, and you can just tell, definitely tell in his face that it's like, "Nah, hell no." There's like way too many fucking. We need to modernize this shit in his eyes, and then all of a sudden he goes <laughs> to the scene where I like that. That's the concern. It's not that everyone's dying in this fucking house. No.
5: <laughs> it's that oh man, I don't get to redecorate this fucking. Yeah.
6: Place. <laughs> and then he runs. He runs back in the house, and she is now a part. She's now a. And she's not dead, but she's definitely affiliated with the ghosts. And then they make them kind of do the same thing they did. They did, which I, I love that scene when he when they're kind of wrapped in embrace and he pulls the gun off the counter. And as he's about to put the gun to her head, you can just see his face like, oh, God, like I've never I've never shot a gun before. I never shot a gun before. This is going to go off really <laughs> bad. And as it does it, you know, it it goes off. And then we do a, yet again a, the close up shot of the top of the house a cut to another shot of the house cut another shot of the house cut another shot of the house from across the street and all of a sudden we cut into the bushes and there's a for sale sign it's like dun dun dun
5: you knew exactly from the get-go when this movie started yeah that's exactly how it was gonna and i the the, the bookends of this movie those ghostly sequences of the couple's committing suicide of mm-hmm. uh, the 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 man pulling the gun out and shooting the wife in the head and then yeah. shooting himself were so stylishly done that it's hard, you, It's going to be tough to convince me Milligan had anything to do with those. Because <laughs> they, they are so uncharacteristically cinematic compared to anything else he's ever done that it sets. I, I think that's what got me to a point where When the the opening sequence happened and that that first uh, suicide, dreamy suicide happened, I was kind of like, whoa, this is interesting. This is a little different than what we've come to know of of Milligan, and it didn't really – hit to be a Milligan movie until that stupid sequence with the daughter and the, and the mom being assholes to each other in some random kitchen. For no reason. (laughs) Then I'm like, yeah. Oh, we're watching a Milligan movie (laughs) again. I forgot. I forgot. So as a film, I can totally get why you would call this number one as a film. It's perhaps almost his most satisfying work because it feels like it has an arc. And it feels like the beginning and the end were actually thought about more than just, oh, we just these characters just have to die, which is the staple of Andy Milligan's filmography, is that no matter what happens before the last 10 minutes, all those people have to die. It's just inevitable. (laughs) I mean, none of it's a shock. None none of it should come as a surprise to fucking anyone. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> at least up until this point, we should, we should realize that that's how things are going to go. When all is said and done, Evan, I don't think we got out of you. We know Vaughn loves this thing. love it. What, what did you end up coming out with uh, Carnage? How did you come out on this?
9: I
7: think it's a, it's a good movie and it's almost too normal for Andy Milligan to compare it to his others. Um, I won't say it's, I, I don't say it's number one because it's kind of, like a normal boring haunted house movie, you know, with, with, I agree with little of, uh, Milligan's defaults. Um, so it's, yeah, it's good. You're not going to, you're, you're not going to suffer through much of, uh, of Milligan in this. It's, it's kind of just like, it reminds you of turning on the TV when you were a kid and there was some seventies haunted mansion, uh, movie on that you loved as a kid. And now it's a little boring, but there was some good sequences. You know, we, we, we talked about some of the effects. I really loved the gut pulling sequence that, <laughs> I mean, it was cheesy, but it looked kind of grisly. It was good. I won't compare it to the others, but it's good.
5: Yeah, I, I think I got to agree with you. Um, I I'm with Vaughn and the fact that this is definitely one of his better movies, not just because it's way more watchable than the other ones, it feels focused that it feels focused in a way that we haven't seen very often in any of his movies. And even though as you had said, Vaughn or you had said, Evan uh, it is kind of plain and kind of simple. There's something comforting in that. And if, if you're the kind of horror fan that kind of likes uh wallpaper ghost movies, and there's a lot of people out there obviously that like that kind of stuff, because otherwise there'd be no, market for conjuring movies and, and things of that oak or as we had referred to before, you know, paranormal activity movies, there'd be no, there'd be no audience for that. If people didn't like just staring at empty rooms, waiting for something to happen, <laughs> which is the majority of this movie there. I mean, you'll, you'll probably find something enjoyable here. The, the ghost effects, as we had said, are super fucking hokey. They're as bargain baseman as they get, but they're super charming because of that. And I think that's what I walked away with is that Andy Milligan attempting to make a normie straight laced ghost movie is just goofy enough for me to dig so <laughs> I, I don't know if I would put this as in, in the top three but I definitely fucking enjoyed this one I was not expecting it because at first I, I had heard nothing but bad things about this movie hmm. and then um, our friend Angelique in the group is like no nah, this is one of the goofiest fucking things this is one of the best movies he's ever made <laughs> I love this movie so I was, I was excited to see this so big thumbs up from me And I think that's a thumbs up across the board. That doesn't happen much so far on this show. So uh, Vaughn, any last words about Carnage? Uh, Watch it. Like I said, it's available. All right, everybody, check out Carnage. And uh, we're going to take another short break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about Andy Milligan's remake of the ghastly ones called Legacy of Blood. Yeah.
6: This will be fast. Don't worry, kids.
5: Yeah, it'll be a pretty short segment. So uh, stick around.
4: I'm Angelique. (laughs) There's nothing better at the end of a long day than a hot bath and a good book. Now I'm not talking highfalutin literature like your Jane Eyre or your Wuthering Heights. I'm talking candy bars for your brain. The kind of books you'll find gathering dust at the Bilo or at your local used bookstore. Books about monsters, ghosts, demons, Werewolves, Draculas, killers, surgical abomination, or any other horror you could dream of. So, plug the drain, grab you a book, and come soak with me in the tub of terror. Tonight, we're reading Toy Cemetery by William W. Johnstone. That's right, the very same William W. Johnstone who brought you the Ashes series as well as Westerns and a few other military action series of novels. But he did a brief stint of horror. So let's find out, is Toy Cemetery just ducky or is it a total bath bomb? So Toy Cemetery is a strange one for sure. Uh, The story centers around Jay Clute and his daughter, Kelly, and they have traveled to Jay's hometown of Victory, Missouri because Jay's been named the sole heir to his weirdo Aunt Carrie's estate. And bizarre crap starts happening right off the bat. Uh, The main business in the middle of town is a huge toy warehouse that's run by a pedophile. And let me just warn you, There is a metric ton of gross sexual abuse happening in Victory. Um, Incest and possessed people getting railed while in a fugue state are major plot points in this book. Anyway, the house Jay inherits is like the local haunted house, and it's full of creepy ass dolls that are alive. The townsfolk, they act relatively normal during the day, but at night... There's roving bands of kids and they're fighting, you know, either for evil or for good. Um, Jay's high school sweetheart comes around and her daughter, Jenny, takes Jay's daughter, Kelly, and meets up with her little gang of miscreants. And they go hang out with the local blind priest, Father Pat. And he spills the beans. I mean, the Big Johns, beans, and fixins. The town is a hotbed of evil. The devil's around every corner. He can't trust anybody. Meanwhile, Jay is also learning how off the town really is. Um, Then some cop named Jim appears. And apparently you can trust Jim. I don't know. We just automatically trust Jim. Um, He provides some more insight. Um, Aunt Carrie apparently owned the town, essentially. She owns the toy store and the weird hospital, asylum, research facility on the edge of town. Very shrewd businesswoman left Jay millions, apparently. Now, from here, (laughs) as if it already wasn't convoluted enough, the story gets more tangled. Everyone's out to kill everyone, okay? It's either, we're going to kill you, or are we related? Let's bone. Yeah. There are good dolls and evil dolls that either attack or defend at a given moment. Um, There's a whole nother haunted house that also belongs to Jay. It's part of the estate. It's the old clute place, kind of in the woods and bordered by a couple of dead cornfields or whatever. Um, But they go to the old Clute House and Aunt Carrie's ghost wraith thing. I don't know. uh, She reveals that she made the sign of the epileptic narwhal with her brother and kind of kick-started the whole evil mess. Um, There's some ancient evil that could be Satan, but isn't, but is almost Satan. Um, ends up being kind of like Cthulhu, but not quite. So like Satan-like, like like the Mick Ultra version of Cthulhu and Satan. I guess like the, the White Claw of evil. Anyway, so they end up going from one house to the other about 85 times. Each time they go to a location... A new character pops up. It gets a little muddy as to who's speaking or exactly which plot thread we're on. Now the dolls become major players. Um, It turns out that Satan Light is taking the townspeople and transforming their souls into dolls and leaving their bodies as like sentient mannequins that walk around and kind of act like bizarro versions of themselves but then they just attack people and if they get hurt they just explode into like mannequin dust and the other mannequins sweep them up and take them uh, uh, you know all the women that are around jay including the kids get possessed um jay ends up being knocked out and a prisoner at the creepy hospital um He breaks out with the help of the head psychiatrist. Again, this is really late in the book and we're still introducing characters here. Um, They have about 93 standoffs with the townspeople, uh, police, evil dolls, quasi-Satanists, more dolls, sentient houses, feral children, and child pornographers. And by the way, Aunt Carrie had a thriving child porn business and some big plot thing that comes up is that the the evil dolls were being sent, you know, to nationwide toy distributors and collectors um, to further spread um, McUltra Satan around the world. So finally, the state police and the FBI and the National Guard get involved after yet another new character, a reporter, threatens to break the whole story about the convoluted ancient evil nationwide thus threatening the uh, Norman Rockwell evil of victory. (sighs) So instead of turning the town into a pane of glass, they cordon it off, quarantine everybody and that just gives Jay a chance to go full on John Rambo all over the place um, but not quite as successful. (sighs) Well The book is done and my water's getting chilly. So let's get down to the last splash. Is Toy Cemetery just ducky or a total bath bomb? And yep, bath bomb. (sighs) Mr. Johnstone, Stick to your Westerns and your war novels. Still, give it a read. Um, simply because this book is kind of unbelievable in the sense that this much plot, and, and trust me, I kind of glossed over a lot of it um, because A, it was nigh incomprehensible, and B, there was just so much... Um, that just goes absolutely nowhere. The book spans a week, but about a year's worth of driving back and forth between the two different houses in just the middle of Main Street takes place. Not once did they stop and get gas. But yeah, if you like a weirdo novel, this is a good one. Just kind of turn your brain off and give it a chance. Well, thanks for spending time in the tub with me, and we'll see you next time. Same bath time, and same bath channel.
1: listening to Astro Radio Z. I
4: don't mean to appear rude, but I was just curious. Curious? About my
3: name. My name? My mother was Hungarian, a gypsy. Baba was her pet name, hence Baba. And my father was Himalayan, hence Mufatanda. You see, you Americans are not the only ones with this blood. Actually, I never knew my father. To be nearly
5: the truth, I'm a boss. So I have a story to tell, boys, about uh, the movie we're going to talk about next, which is Legacy of Blood, 1978. <sighs> um, the remake <laughs> of The Ghastly Ones. So this movie, I thought, was super easy to find. It's all over the internet. Yeah. I mean, Elvira even did an episode on this movie. So I pop on, I'm like, Oh, I'll watch this. It's the Elvira version. This will actually be kind of fun. And guess what? I'm watching it. And wait, 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 wait. wait. The Elvira version isn't Andy Milligan. (laughs) It's labeled as Andy Milligan everywhere. Even on the boxes of Elvira. That's not the fucking Andy Milligan movie. Nope. I'm 25 minutes into this gimmick. I'm like, wait, 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 wait.
6: John this Carradine. is not no.
5: yeah yeah John when did he work with John Carradine so I'm looking up I'm look I'm checking and blasting my fucking phone going imdb.com blah 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 and I'm looking I'm cross-referencing actors I'm like wait 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 wait, wait. this ain't no goddamn Milligan gimmick so I had to start fucking scouring over the internet I Boys, literally, I had written an entire page of notes
7: <laughs>
5: up until that point on a movie that wasn't even the movie we're talking about tonight. Yeah, but the plot is so close. <laughs> it's so fucking close. It's identical. So what happened? I would love to know what the thing is, and I wanna I wanna say that this bigger production may have spurred, and I need to research this, Milligan into making this shitty remake. That we're going to actually talk about because I had read somewhere that he had to change the title, which is why when you sit and you actually plunk this movie on, which was extremely tough to find Milligan's version, the title card says legacy of horror, not legacy of blood. Mm. Legacy of blood with John Carradine was made the exact same fucking year. Wow. Wow. So I had to look up and I had to fight. The only way I could find legacy of horror was through nefarious means. And when I found it, oh, man, it was so hard to fucking watch. (laughs) It almost had goddamn audio as bad as Compass Rose. Yeah, It, it felt like it was like a 50th generation VHS dub. Oh, it was awful. (laughs) <laughs> we tried hosting a, a fucking group watch of this movie, and everyone bailed within the first three minutes. Except me and you. Except for Evan and I.
6: <laughs> Why didn't you send the me a audio link? To was this? that bad. Since everybody, oh, well, Evan pays. So what am I So, so if you want to listen to these beautiful little, uh, you know, commentary when you uh, know Derek puts this stuff online, you have to pay to get on there. So I don't get invited to these things. It would have been much no, more It's funner. not.
7: It's not a listen thing. It's just we're typing.
6: Yeah, but you're watching. You're watching the movie together. Yeah, yeah. But you have to go to the Patreon and pay for that. So hint, hint, wink, wink. Go give some Derek some money. He needs it. Plus, you get to watch really shitty movies with him, which is great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you get to sit and endure lovely movies like and then I get, legacy of horror and then i get drunk and then i get drunken texts from evan going where were you the whole time I'm like what the- I- <laughs>
5: <laughs> oh, he was so wasted by the end of this movie i wasn't even aware that evan was drinking the entire time and i was jealous i was so fucking jealous that he was wasted by the end of this movie because i was stone sober oh that and man that do have been i regret
7: so that must have been so bad it- being sober
5: It it was miserable. Not only the fact that the audio was so bad, but the fact that I had watched half of another fucking movie and then had to watch this one. (laughs) So having said that, boys, let's get into the plot of Legacy of Horror. Okay. Legacy of Horror is a horror movie about three wicked sisters and their equally unsavory husbands who all arrive at a remote inn where they mean to attend the reading of their uncle's will. One by one, the heirs are dispatched by an unknown killer. Dun, dun, dun. It's the exact same plot of the ghastly ones, except for the entire first act of this fucking movie is about all of the characters talking about going to a will reading
6: well, it's the same way. They, sp- <laughs> <laughs> they
5: spend 30 fucking minutes talking to every last person they come into contact with well should I go to the will reading yeah. well, I don't know you and everyone tells them no you shouldn't go to the will reading there yeah. are bad things that are going to happen
7: that was an innovation the premonitions that didn't yeah. happen <laughs> in the ghastly ones
6: but, but the different the difference is though that the ghastly ones the, the the you have actually like characters actually have like things you have the one sister who is like secretly a dickhead to her husband is like very manipulative and very kind of controlling you have the other sister who is in love with her husband blah blah, blah and who he may be gay you know you have all that stuff with this one it doesn't seem like you have it's a, or it's the same stuff but it just doesn't feel as it's all gone um, yeah it doesn't feel like it's there it's just like three really asshole people with three really asshole husbands who are going to sit there and try to get money from their uncle, which is different because it was the father in the first one. Um, so he, like, changed little things. He's like, All right, wait, the women were kind of, they had, you know, emotions and actually were people. And this one, I'm just going to make them automaton monsters that I'm just going to kill off one by one. We have the, uh, you know, the old school kind of handicapped ha- uh, handyman in the film. Like, uh, this is the one thing that, that uh, the last film, Carnage, was missing. We didn't have no, like, hunchback or anything like that. Nope running around it was because that was a modern day film you had a hunchback oh, it'd be, people would have would have ride in the streets um, but it's a but this film is supposed to be another one of the era like 1900s era film so it's like oh that's good I'll have a hunchback running around <laughs> <laughs> which ju-
5: he popped in and out of the movie in the weirdest of fucking ways just like
6: <laughs> yeah it's not so good.
5: he pops in and out we get scenes where he f- gets drunk and falls off a bridge yeah he lives with two women in a basement. We get scenes where he eats like an animal. He beats up a stuffed animal. Yeah, um, we he gets taught how to gather wood. I mean, these are like five minute sequences of this guy just doing fucking nothing. Then we get extended sequence. This is all in the first act where people are just walking around waiting to go to a, a will reading. Like almost half of the fucking movies, people talking about going to a will reading where there are extended sequences of ladies that go to visit a graveyard for no fucking reason. We hear a foreshadowing tale of a, a body that's shipped standing up and buried in an unmarked grave. You think that maybe death was writing through Milligan. Saying hey (laughs) Guess what's gonna happen to you Later in fucking life (laughs) Oh my god Okay then there's an extended sequence Where the ladies go to visit a white mystic named Baba,
6: <laughs> Yeah, it's so.
5: Stupid. a white dude that looked like he may have been a member of the band Rusted Root. <laughs> and he sits around <sighs> talking. Oh, I am Baba. My uncle was a Baba. and I am a Baba. <laughs> we're, we're the worst music. Like it's so stereotypical. And he goes on for like five minutes. Yeah. It's That's this movie is like the only new inclusions is this entire first act before we get to the regurgitated sped up version. It's almost like uh, Rob Zombie's Halloween yeah. where we have now all this backstory to all these people in the first half. And then the second half is just a sped up retread of the, of the first movie.
7: Yeah. Sped it's, up it, so much none of that it works. Y- you don't have the detail. Like when you and I were watching it, we, there was a scene where they're like, somebody says to another character, there was a, Big X drawn on my door. And that was, you know, that was a whole thing in the ghastly ones. But in this one, yeah. there was no you didn't see before and after. You know, like you never saw any of that stuff. I think he just said it.
5: <sighs>
6: None of the murders are really shown on screen until the very end. This film and the other film we're gonna talk about, House of Seven Bells were were pretty much made, you know, same well, 78, 79, right? But it yep. feels like if you I mean, if you, you, all can go see, we'll show you how to get the, the Watch House of Seven Bells. But you watch that film, you can definitely tell that he spent a lot more time on that film. You know what I mean? That film's actually really good compared to this thing. It just feels like he was like, all right, we're going to give you some money to make a movie. You have a script and he just well that's the- why I
5: think this movie was like he thought he could make a quick buck because yeah. the other legacy of blood and unless, was you, being produced
6: if you look at IMDB you look at his filmography he he made Blood in 73 and he made this in 78 so he had like a five year gap so maybe like nobody was wanting to fucking deal with him so he you know he just found somebody was like hey you know Andy want you to make a movie okay sure like and then pulled this thing out of his ass and pretty much just made it real quick
5: you know <sighs> it's so fucking cheap the deaths that happen in this movie like I said are mostly off screen we have a hanging we have a lady that sees the hanging and trips down one step and dies Um, Mm -hmm. we we hear somebody screaming in the basement a guy gets tied up uh, there's a, a head, the infamous head in the plate gag. Yeah. There's a pitchforking.
6: But, but look at this. He's he's working for about 10 years from 65 to 73, making films every other year or every or some films he make it four in a year. You know, it's just like he had a and I understand like, yes, when a director has a long period where he's not working, he may get a, you know, but I don't think Andy has that like ability where he's like, oh, I'm a little rusty on this. No, it's just like he's like, I'm just going to throw this shit to the wall and see what happens. And it's just that the acting sucks in it. The actors are completely awful. The writing is just like he just ripped pages out of the out of the ghastly ones and just was like, well, this is the what we're going to do now. And it's just it's just awful. Like, it's just and I understand when I'm kind of happy that this film is hard to find. You know what I mean? That, that it's almost it, next to impossible to find. And I, and I'm kind of happy. Some of the films like you wish that were lost. And this is kind of one of the ones I wish got thrown in the garbage. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you know, it's out there and there's plenty of reviews on it. Um, because people are like, oh, look, this is trash. Let's talk about it, uh, you know, and they try to be funny about it. And it's not funny because it's not a fun film to watch. You guys had a hard time watching it. And it's 87 minutes. You know what I mean? It's not it's a hard film to get through.
5: It's it's just long and boring and nothing is worthwhile. And it, what hinders it even more, the only available copy that I was able to find, as I had said before, the audio is so bad, you barely make out what's being said yeah. the vast majority of the film. You have to
6: really pay attention yeah. to hear what's being said and none of it matters. Yeah, so I'm kind of happy that no company has decided hey look we found 35 million familiar prints of this I'm going to do a TK scan. No, no. Throw them in the trash. <laughs> Chuck them into the river. Don't, unless there's something cool, like unless it's actually a version of the film that doesn't suck you know, like then get rid of it. You know what I mean? I just.
7: Put uh, it as a special but, feature on the ghastly ones.
5: Yeah, I think that's a good that would be a good good idea. It's like a point counterpoint where the ghastly ones works for me, at least if you guys go back and listen to the previous episode where we talked about it. A lot of what worked about that for me was how fucking carny and goofy it gets with the gore toward the end of the Mm -hmm. movie. And unfortunately, with this one. That's almost completely cut out. There's like nothing going on. People die, but you don't see any of it. And for some reason, and maybe this is a positive Hmm. that a lot of the good things, um, ideas and some of the decent actors from this movie show up in House of Seven Bells that we're going to be talking about later. Yeah. He he uses this almost like um it's it's like he had seen Mario Baba's blood and black lace and decided <laughs> that the killers have to now look like Baron Martino. <laughs> and everyone so there's like a, a jolly <laughs> killer going around yeah. at the end of this movie, which ends up not to spoil anything, going forward in House of Seven Bells, the same fucking shit happens. Yeah. So uh, I it, it just this, as we had said before, this is gonna be a really short segment because honestly, it's Sucks. it's the ghastly ones, and there's nothing really new brought to the table, and it's unfortunately a horrendous movie. I wouldn't recommend anybody checking this out. Evan, do you recommend anyone checking this no. out?
7: No. I mean, I don't I hardly I mean, there's maybe reasons, but I hardly remember any of this movie. Like, it's just so unmemorable um and like you said the the uh you can't hear anything
5: it's terrible it's like a non-movie a complete non-movie vaughn any final thoughts on
6: this thing before we move on any vhs copies of this film i mean vhs is trash but all of it should be put in a bonfire and destroyed like even if somebody <laughs> finds a 35 millimeter they should throw it into the fucking ocean it's just an awful film
7: <laughs> that is so significant that vaughn is saying
6: this yes this is probably my worst like i like the ghastly ones that's pretty much why i think it's because the ghastly ones i think is a fun film and then you watch this it's like all the heart and all the kind of fun that's in that film is just tore out bon. yeah. yeah yeah and it's just i like, agree uh, yeah
5: it is very lifeless now if you were to put this up next to torture dungeon or would if you put this up next to bloodthirsty butchers which one is better
6: bloodthirsty butchers come on come oh my uh. gosh Okay, I know, so and that's, probably my, and that's probably like my number nine. If, you have, if I really had to put together a, a thing, you know what I mean? Like, it's pretty bad, but like it's I, this film is just ugh. At ugh. least something happens in Bloodthirsty. Yeah, witchers. and at least you get like you know horrible conversations, you know, and and people with bad teeth because they're all British, you know. It's it's, <laughs> at least you get that.
5: Ugh, yuck. So, uh, yeah. Legacy of blood, big, fat turd. Don't even waste your time looking for this thing. Just watch the ghastly ones again.
7: Or watch the legacy of blood. The one that has oh, yeah, Carradine. Watch the
5: other one. <laughs> yeah. Go watch the John Carradine movie, which I watched half of and was actually OK. It wasn't horrible by any means. So go watch that with Elvira. So you get to Google over Elvira a little bit and, and hear her really horrible jokes and then watch this John Carradine gimmick and then come away saying, yeah, I watched that Andy Milligan movie. It says so right on the back. Ignorance is bliss. Sometimes I agree with this, Evan. Sometimes ignorance is bliss. So we're going to go on and move on and forget about legacy of horror, AKA legacy of blood. And when we come back, we're going to talk about a couple other things that we found that we weren't expecting to find in the last week. Namely, Andy Milligan's TV pilot, The Adventures of Red Rooster from 1984.
2: So we'll be right back. The transmission is in your space. You are not safe. Now or ever.
9: Welcome to the alley, kid. Have a seat. Fire's warm. You got a bottle? Hell yeah. Pass it over. Fuck, old Thompson ain't never done nobody wrong. Thanks, kid. Now you getting ahead of yourself. Hell, you wanna know my name for anyway? I don't know you from nobody. You could be a goddamn fairy out to trick me. Who knows? Don't never tell nobody your name, kid. Not your real name. And out here... Nobody cares anyway. Anybody who says they do is a fucking liar. And they probably want something from you. You ain't got no face tattoos. You one of them train hoppers? Didn't think so. You look too clean. You ain't been out here long, have you, kid? Why you out here? You think this is gonna be an adventure? You a writer or some dumb shit like that? Ain't nothing romantic about this shit, boy. You wanna know the rules? You wanna know what it's really like out here? Pass me that bottle again. Shit, almost gone already? It's all right. I got one here somewhere. Uh, yeah, here we go. Yeah, sure, drink up, here. All right, the rules. Rule number one, you already dead. Ain't no such thing as homeless people or ghosts. It's just us out here, dead and gone and forgotten but still walking. Rule number two, We eat dogs. Would be cats too, but cats are too smart and too damn hard to catch. A Lot of good meat on a dog if they ain't too old. Puppies are the best. I found a litter of seven about two weeks ago and I ate good for days. You gonna keep looking at me like that kid and I'm gonna get mad. Hunger will change you. Rule number three, we see the secrets of the streets. You ever read Lovecraft, kid? Probably never read a goddamn thing your whole life. The streets hold all the dirt, all the grease of the dead, and the dust of the truth. The secrets of the city all drift down here and collect at the bottom, on the street. Streets are the arteries and veins of a city. Finish the bottle, kid. It's alright. I got another one unopened somewhere. The secrets of this city are deep and dark. You know there's flooded tunnels underneath these buildings that run all the way to the docks, to the sea. Streets underneath these streets. Streets where there ain't never been any sunlight. Arteries and veins full of black water that for ages has carried secrets from the sea and into the city, and from the city and into the sea. We see these secrets because we're already dead and gone and invisible. We watch, unseen, unspoken. Am I boring you kid? You look tired. But some of the secrets we see are simple, like the fact that kids go missing out here. They get sent down them black streets underneath us. Out to sea where ships are waiting. There's lots of money, and white men with suits and nice teeth and soft hands, and Arabs always the fucking Arabs. Some of the secrets we see ain't so simple, ain't so easy to understand until you've been looking at them for a while. Like the fact that them Arabs are fucking devil worshippers, and some kind of goddamn wizards, or aliens, real shit. I seen one take a bullet in the neck and laugh before he disappeared. You know that theater that burned down during a performance last month in Chelsea? Six months ago, I saw some fucking dumb-looking kid with a curly mustache come down to red hook, poking around the alleys. He was looking for a copy of a script for an old stage play, and eventually he found a tall Arab with exactly the play he was looking for. That's the exact same Dune Coon I saw disappear after getting shot in the neck. They call him Mr. N. They say everything goes back to him. Everything. They say his teeth and fingernails are made out of gold. Rule number four. You've been out here long enough, you'll do anything for money. Anything. You find out who you really are. What you really are. And you either lay down and die, or you keep on stepping over the corpses. And when you're lucky, you get paid for them. You alright, kid? Too much of that gin? You wanna lay down? Take it easy. Take it easy. That's it. Lay on down. Say hello to the street's typography, as it were. How's that street smell, kid? Can you smell the oil of the dead? Can you smell the secrets? Rule number five, don't trust nobody, ever. And don't drink from open bottles that are stranger hands, you dipshit.
7: time thou shalt not kill and whosoever shall kill
0: shall be in danger of the judgment but I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment and whosoever shall say to his brother Raka
1: shall be in danger of the council but
3: whosoever shall say thou fool shall be in danger of Hellfire.
5: got weird holes on your property, do they whisper at your children? Do pets wander in these holes and never return? That ain't no problem. We filled those right up and ask us about our ongoing maintenance
1: plans if you got reoccurring hole problems. It ain't uncommon in this area. Clean slate concrete. 115 Dogwood Road, Sasser, Georgia. Or call us at 229-336-666- night on
9: the lurking news more on the notorious serial killer known as The Butcher whose last victims were found in Moultrie, Georgia South Swirl malt Liquor will get you turned the fuck up Made right here in Moultrie, Georgia South Swill has that secret ingredient that will turn a party into a motherfucking massacre You won't remember shit and you'll be the only one that leaves the party alive but that's cool you'll go home covered in blood that's not yours and you'll be so full that you won't eat for days but you'll be thirsty
0: as hell thirsty for South Swift, my liquor available at your local liquor store
8: hi my name is George Myers. I'm an actor filmmaker currently living here in Texas uh, back in the 1980s I was living in New York City And I remember, I believe it was the fall or winter of 1983, I went on on audition for a show called The Adventures of Red Rooster. It was directed by Andy Milligan and produced by Donald Toby. I auditioned for the role of Ricky Rhodes. I eventually got called and uh, booked the role for Ricky Rhodes. And we shot five episodes of The Adventures of Red Rooster back in 1983 into 1984. Now, this year marks the 35th anniversary of The Adventures of Red Rooster, so I thought it'd be kind of fun and interesting if I posted all five of these episodes here online. I don't have a lot of information about the show other than mainly my memories, and a few other things Andy had uh, given me, it was kind enough for him to give me the videotapes, The I guess these are beta tapes. I have all five episodes on beta tape, and I transferred them to MiniDV, and then eventually transferred them to a video file, uh, which I currently have. And also, a friend of mine, uh, Ryan, sent me a poster that I had never seen before. It was the first time I had seen this poster, uh, Adventures of Red Rooster. And I had the poster blown up, and uh, right behind me here in my apartment wall. But anyway, uh, enjoy the episodes. I'm going to post the first one here, and then after that, eventually I'll, I will post episodes two through five. Also, I set up a special email address for uh, anyone that may have any information at all about any of the episodes, or uh, if you enjoyed the episodes, send me a quick email. If you have any information on any of the cast, crew, anything at all, uh, uh, I would appreciate hearing from you. It's redroosterinformation at gmail.com. Thank you for watching and enjoy the episodes.
9: The adventures of a good old country boy in New York City. Ricky played by George Myers. Bubbles played by Cameron Ford. Groovy played by Hal Barsky. Billy Joe, played by Leslie Duven. Jeters, played by William Walters.
5: Okay, so Evan, how did you come across The Adventures of Red Rooster? So when
7: I was watching Carnage, I was kind of you know, I thought the actress that played the lead in that movie was kind of cute. So I was looking, at, I was just looking at her on, uh on, uh I think it was, I don't even think I went to IMDB. I think I was on Letterboxd and I just clicked um her name, the actress. And I see this <laughs> Adventures of Red Rooster pop up and I, I clicked it and it says Andy Milligan. And I was like, what the heck is this? <laughs> I never heard about this. And then that's when I texted you. I was like, how can this be? This keeps happening. And, um, and so, and so you guys, uh, you know, you guys uh, clicked on it and started watching it a little bit. And then yep. the very next day, uh, somebody who I follow on, on Facebook, who's like a film critic, he posts a link to adventures of Rest- yeah. Ro- red rooster. And he, he's like, for, you know, for the, uh, only for the diehard Milligan freaks, uh, you might want to see this. And, and, um, it was actually a better version of the one that I found on YouTube, um, and it's like brand new. I mean, the, what we have here is a TV show um, that they made five episodes apparently, and one of the actors was given beta tapes of a uh, by Milligan of of these five episodes, and he just put the pilot up. and There's like there was ten views, and Derek was one of them. I mean (laughs) that—that's how fresh this is in the zeitgeist. (laughs) We're first.
5: Yeah, Uh, I don't know if we should be proud of this. Yeah, we should. Let's let's just lean into it. it. Yeah, (laughs) this is our claim to fame, baby. Well, well, this supposedly uh, what we had watched and I I don't know if because he hasn't posted any of the other ones, correct? He's, he's going to
7: wait a little bit and then post in the next one and wait a little bit and post the next one. This is, yeah, one of the actors.
6: This is a pilot, but it feels like you can definitely feel that it's cut up segments. Like it's like it's like a pr- promotional piece. well, that's why
5: that's what it is. What it was used as was a pitch piece where Milligan and uh, his partner, the playwright, Don Toby, went and took this to various studios and networks to try and get this to go. And nobody picked it up. So that's why I at at first when I was watching it, I'm like, why the fuck is this jump cutting in the middle of lines to an entirely new scene? Mm -hmm. It's because it it felt like they took the five episodes and cut them up to give Hmm. the highlights and none of those highlights are particularly engaging. No, that's not the one that I watched, Derek okay which one did you watch because i didn't the one you posted was this one one i posted was the the
7: one that i found the night before okay and i hadn't watched it yet but the one that was posted to facebook the next day is a cleaner version with an intro by the guy the actor
5: oh i haven't seen this one i only watched the cut up one
7: (laughs) yeah so i i I subscribed to his channel because he's going to be posting the other five and like i said there's like 10 subscribers i mean this is nobody knows about this yet
5: so what did you get out of it because obviously Obviously Vaughn and I watched <laughs> this cut-up pilot and it's a jumbled bubble oh, okay. fuck of no, nothing. No this was
7: this was uh coherent. It, uh, it was it was definitely a pilot where they're introducing the um the three or four main characters that are gonna be our our pals in this sitcom. And um it's it's in two acts, just like a sitcom. Um and basically the story is that there's this this guy living in New York City, and he's like a, you know, a rough ex gambler type. Um, and he signed on with this company. It was this old crazy guy that basically um, invented some new boner pill, and they, they call it Red Rooster. And um, and so he's gonna try to start this company, this small startup company. Um, that guy hires, and that guy's name is Ricky. That's the first employee that then the the actor that plays Ricky is the guy that's posting these on YouTube. Um, Interesting. And his partner in the, in this little company uh, is the guy that plays Judd in um, House of Seven Bells that we'll be talking about later. He's the ad man for this company. And basically the, the premise of this pilot is that they take on their new secretary and that's played by um, Van Den Duven or whatever the, the woman from carnage carnage. Yeah. And so it's typical sort of pilot uh, fair where they're trying to establish like each character's like idiosyncrasy that they're going to lean on, you know, like, uh van den duven or billy joe is her character's name she loves plants and she likes talking to them and and singing to them and stuff um you know um ricky uh, the first guy he his his thing is that he drinks a lot um uh ricky billy joe and groovy groovy is the um the, the, the other guy. And his thing is that he's kind of like a put upon sort of dopey guy that doesn't get girls or something like that. Um, so yeah, they intro, they introduce these three in the first act and they have to establish like what this thing is, you know, it's supposed it's, it's advertised as some kind of Geritol or something like that, you know, <laughs> It's a boner pill. It's a boner pill. You get, it, 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 <laughs> what did it say? It's. I think they said making old men young and young men
5: old. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's it's to help the uh, help engorge a man's cock with red healthy blood. Yeah. Get it? The red rooster <laughs> rejuvenators. This is directly <laughs> off of the description on YouTube. I'm reading right. Okay. Oh,
7: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, made out of. Uh, um, made out of the uh, hormones of a, of a rooster or something like that. Um, And yeah, so they introduce. she comes in as the new secretary and she meets these two people and she's from the country, which is just Ohio. And, (laughs) um, and, and she's in the big city now and uh, she's going to love this place. You know, this is going to be a new Mm -hmm. family uh, away from home. And that's about it for the
6: pilot. So, yeah, so the thing we saw me and Derek saw was kind of a twenty-minute cut-up a, pro, a promo. But but the thing is, Derek, I don't know if you felt it that I felt. I felt that there was something there, like it was definitely something that like like I would love to see the rest of. It. And I actually, just when, when you were talking, Evan, I actually found the guy's uh, YouTube page and subscribed to it so I can watch the episode. Um, but you can definitely tell what, what's the what was the screenwriter the screenplay writer's uh, name Don Toby Don Toby. You can definitely tell that like he like even though Andy Milligan's name is also one of the writers. Uh, You can definitely tell that it's a guy who actually knows how to write screen and like write stories and actually knows how to write a screenplay, you know, and it's actually, you know, these actors are actually writing someone's, they're not written by a deranged maniac like Andy. Um, You know what I mean? (laughs) It's a goofy concept. Yes. The whole fact that it's, it's a boner medication that's made up of a, you know, the, uh, you know, the organs of a fucking rooster. It's so stupid, but it's, it's funny. And you can, when you watch that promo, you can definitely tell that there's something there and that it's like. I can understand why people pass on this because if this is the thing they were watching where it's like 20 minutes where like Andy meticulously cut the best parts out of it and put it into, you know, five to five, five episodes to put it into this 20 minute promo. Um, uh, and you're like, well, you just, you just completely cut in the middle of a sentence. What the hell is that all about? And people are like, never mind, pass. And like, oh, he's-
7: I, and yeah, I, I think I agree. I think there is something there. I, and, and if, and if that's only Andy Milligan and to be sort of, um, aping the tropes of seventies sitcoms—that's yep. enough. I think it's—I think it's fun to
6: to watch yep. them try that. You know? Aping seventy sitcoms in nineteen eighty four, which is even better, um, because this film was made in the same. These episodes are made the same year that Carnage was made, so that's why he was what's your name oh there's a lot of bleed through with it with actors and the look and the style yeah. and everything about it yeah and he probably had the same short ends that he used on fucking carnage i mean this these uh five episodes because the you know these actually look pretty good like from just watching that 20 minute promo and actually it's like oh this is clean so whatever tapes he got they were like probably the only thing that andy ever had and he's like well just take these I'm, i don't want them anymore you know yeah. what i mean it's yeah. like okay that's that's cool
5: well, it's probably a lot like what happened with um on my on the YouTube page for Astro Radio Z a while back. I was given by a friend of mine, yeah. uh, Frank Anderson, uh, oh. <laughs> two episodes of, <laughs> <Tiny> <laughs> of Bill Rabane, yep, the Tiny Tim TV show Tiny Tim and Friends. Ooh. Uh, Bill Rabane Rob- had produced this with Tiny Tim obviously after they had made Blood Harvest. and. It just never went anywhere and it's in an unfinished state and uh, Frank had it sitting around because a while ago we were in talks to do some um, documentary work for Bill Rubin and I have a bunch of assets of of behind the scenes stuff and interviews and and stuff that just has never got out there um, of his work and Frank sent this over to me and it had never been released or anything. So I'm just like, would, would it be a trouble for me to post this to the YouTube? He's like, by all means go for it, which I was a little leery of because Bill Rubin sues the fuck out of everybody. Like <laughs> yeah. indiscriminately. That's like what he's known for is you do anything. He's going to sue the fuck out of
6: you. See, I, I wish, <clears throat> I wish you guys, you, you, you know, the blood harvest disc that's how the vinegar syndrome. This would be nice as a special feature on it. These two fucking episodes. I mean, it's nice that they're there and I'm actually going to watch them probably tonight. Um, and just, you know, sleep like and you go to bed like a happy little child. Um, cause you know, tiny Tim fucking awesome. Um, but this would have been lovely to see on that fucking disc. Anyway, that's just me blabbering. Okay.
5: Well, I just got, we just,
6: re- I received these like a month ago, well, a month or thinking, two ago. I'm not saying you, but I mean like whoever, who had them fucking should have been like. Hey, we have this stuff. I know Bill Rebain's kind of a big pain in the butt, but, you know, he didn't fucking, you know, agree to them, let them put that record, that movie out. So it's like, when you fucking do this, Bill, ah, whatever. Well, um, who knows if Bill
5: even had copies
6: of that? Yeah, That's the thing is right.
5: that these may have only been in the hands of one or two other people. I, I know I had talked to and not to get wildly off track here, but I know I had talked to a couple people that knew about this, but nobody had a copy of it. So when this came into my uh. possession, which I'm sure is the same thing with this Red Rooster gimmick, you're just like, well, we there's a demand out there. Maybe we should put this out there. Yeah. So I'm glad that this get, got put out there, The Adventures of Red Rooster. Um, what I had seen, um, unlike you guys, I wasn't particularly too interested in it. It kind of like what I, what I saw, which isn't entirely fair because it was a jumbled mess, um, just seemed like a bland sitcom. So I'm going to watch the first episode and and see how it is. But for me, it didn't really seem all that interesting. And none of the jokes seem like nobody. The acting wasn't particularly all that great. And uh, it's shot in typical Milligan style where nothing is particularly all that interesting to look at. <laughs> so. I, I like it
7: because of it, it's sort of tone deaf. Um, You know, there's yeah. a, there's,
5: <laughs> I think that's a good way to put there's it. There's a
7: scene where they're all, da- I don't know if this was in your cut up, but there's a scene where they're all dancing around with plants on their head.
5: Yes. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm.
7: it's like, nobody's along for that ride. Like it's not, no. it's not working.
5: Everybody looks so vacant. Like th- <laughs> that's what I got out of it. I watched half of the, of the cut up and every every joke is delivered with no like emotion and everybody is just there spouting lines and, and for a comedy no emotion I don't know. You have to be there has to be some really funny shit going on yeah. <laughs> for that to work. And none of this worked for me at all. Yeah. So let's see. Well, I, I hope uh, George Myers, uh, who runs the YouTube channel. So if you want to go over, give him a subscribe Astro Zombies. Go go check it out. If you're really hardened Andy Milligan fans. Definitely, if you're interested, go check it out. Give them a subscribe and uh, we'll see how this goes. And maybe on one of the future episodes, we have only two left. um, We can give you an update and see how all five episodes are. But as of right now, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Adventures of Red Rooster is what it is. So uh, let's take a short break. When we come back, we'll speak about perhaps the most exciting film of the night. I can't believe I'm going to say that because it wasn't originally even on the docket to be discussed when we started doing this director's series. Nicholas Winding Refn got a hold of the assets from Jimmy McDonough, who is the biographer for the Ghastly Ones. Uh, he had this sitting around and gave it to Nicholas Winding Refn and they restored it and put it up on his streaming site, by nwr.com. And what I'm talking about is. Brace yourselves, folks, because I can't believe I'm about to say this. Andy Milligan's Civil War era drama, The House of Seven Bells. So we'll be right back.
2: This is Astro Radio Z, and we love talking about movies with you. If you are looking for more episodes and want to become part of this show... Go to patreon.com forward slash all the gimmicks and become a monthly subscriber. There, you'll have access to not only 100 plus bonus episodes of content, but a monthly bonus episode of Astro Radio Z Uncensored with Mark the Movie Man, where you,
5: the listener, tell us what to cover on the show. Jump in. Make Astro Radio Z yours and become a Patreon subscriber
2: at patreon.com forward slash all the gimmicks. I
3: ain't lying, baby. <laughs> Go! Oh.
10: again eric stingline here with another episode of squib central it's a pretty warm and snowless saturday here in uh, milwaukee wisconsin so um thinking about the holidays of course one of the things i always uh like to do when i'm you know in the midst of like holidays and stuff is to watch movies that either you know occur during the holidays or on the holidays or kind of you know seemingly in that uh Type of environment. Um, so, unfortunately, even though there are t- a ton of action movies and such that take place on or around Christmas, I think a lot of them have been done to death. I mean, we all know about you know Die Hard, and and arguably like The Weapon is a Christmas movie, and um, you know Die Hard Two, I guess would ostensibly be a Christmas film then. You know, there's others that just aren't coming to me at, at the moment. But, you know, there's, of course, plenty of Christmas horror movies like, you know, Christmas Evil and New Year's Evil and uh, Don't Open No Christmas, you know, those kinds of flicks. But I try to dig deep for a couple reasons. One, because I was gifted a copy of this film for Secret Santa Exchange, actually, that I just did recently in one of my uh, VHS collecting groups. And... It turns out this movie is really awesome, and I guess I didn't realize at the time how awesome the gift I got was. Um, So the movie I'm referencing, the movie I'm going to talk about today, is called Red Snow. Uh, It was released in 1990 on VHS by VC2 Home Entertainments. Um, And one of the things I wanted to mention, too, just real quick, when I'm choosing these movies to review, one thing I often think about is, well, if I review something too weird and obscure or whatever, people are going to have a hard time finding it. And unfortunately, that's going to be the case with this movie. Uh, There's not a copy on YouTube that I'm aware of. The VHS is pretty scarce, so I guess I got lucky by getting a copy. I'm sure you can get it online somewhere on one of the torrent sites or Rare Lust or one of those kinds of things. I probably shouldn't even be discussing that here, but whatever. So if you find a copy, great. I urge you to... Definitely look for a copy of this if you like cheesy, shitty action movies. So again, the movies called Red Snow came out in 1990. It was directed by a guy named Philip J. Roth who made a couple other movies before this and a couple other movies after that. Um, The movie before this... Uh, Is also extremely rare um, and it was only released, uh, I think, basically on television in Portland, Oregon, uh, in the late 1980s. And it's called Fatal Revenge. Actually, I take it back. That did have a VHS release, but only in Japan, and it's pretty rare. Uh, I do have a friend who owns a copy. And that's an- another film that unfortunately has never made it to YouTube, and I'm not sure if it's available online or anything. But that one also looks. Uh, incredible. Uh, But then this uh, Philip J. Roth went on to direct a few other films. He directed some stuff that if you are an older guy like me uh, and you used to go rent movies at the video store in the 1990s, you probably saw uh, these shitty movies on the shelves. One of them was called Prototype. Uh, You probably remember the cover if you saw it. It has like a weird robot holding a gun on it. Um, There's a movie called Apex, uh, which is actually an acronym. I've I have no idea what it stands for, and then he also uh, directed a movie called Digital Man in 1995, uh, which uh, I've actually heard is awesome. I haven't watched it myself yet, but you probably uh, remember all these flicks. The covers almost all look the same, and so basically, um, Red Snow is about a snowboard instructor um, who, you know, is trying to uncover clues about a robbery that happened at his. Um, at his, you know, instruction school, basically at the ski resort, you know, snowboard resort that he works at. Um, And so basically the film starts off with the robbery and there's this uh, absolute dickhead who's our bad guy, whose name is Benton. Um, So Benton and this other huge, like, dude who are skiers basically rob this, you know, ski resort um, and kill a bunch of the instructors and get away with it somehow. Basically the guy who owns the place, kind of paid off the sheriff to look the other way. And the reason he did that is because the guy who owns this place and Benton are in cahoots together basically to, to, to you know, take this place for all it's worth by, you know, getting the money that they had sort of squirreled away and then also uh, from insurance money. So it starts off with a robbery and Benton kills a bunch of these instructors and then it fasts forwards you know steals all the money fast forwards to a year later um, when you get this new snowboard instructor who comes on and starts and he kind of realizes quickly that this benton guy's bad news and there's a lot of like a dark you know a lot of dark clouds basically still hanging over this place because of what happened the year before and He eventually kind of gets into it with Benton pretty quickly, actually, because the secretary that works at this place, who is played by Darla Hahn, who, uh, looking on IMDb, has been in, in tons of movies and still to this day is an actress. Mostly stuff I didn't recognize, but, you know, she's been in like some soap operas and some like kind of low budget like erotic thrillers and stuff but nothing I've seen. But anyways so basically the main snowboard instructor whose name is Kyle gets into it with Benton because Benton wants to bang Darla Han whose name is Kelly in the movie and uh, doesn't like that. So of course Benton and Kyle get into a fight and of course Benton is somehow like an amazing martial artist and just kicks the fucking shit out of him. And it's pretty hilarious to be honest with you. Uh, The fight is fairly one-sided all things considered. So That kind of sets up the tone for the rest of the movie. Obviously, after Kyle gets his ass kicked, he wants to know what the hell's going on. Who is this Benton guy? Why is everyone so scared of him? I mean, you know, uh, beyond just this, like, rivalry over this woman, you could tell something's up with Benton. So he starts kind of digging around, asking questions. And eventually, you know, it kind of comes to a head because Benton and the guy who owned the place who are kind of in cahoots together to get the insurance money from the deaths and to, you know, get uh, some I guess access to some money that they had sort of tied up in stocks with the company or something like that. Are you know they're in cahoots and they're trying to um, sort of one-up each other and see who can get to the money first and it turns out that part of the insurance payout that went to the owner you know he never gave it all to Benton he never gave Benton his fair share so Benton kind of has it out for him the guy who runs the place thinks he has a one-up on Benton because he has the money but Benton of course is an insane badass um, who you know doesn't give a shit about killing people obviously so I think he you know assumes he has the one-up as well so the next big part of the movie is kind of three three things happening so you got Kyle doing sort of background investigation on what happened with this robbery the year before. You've got Benton and the owner of this ski resort kind of going after each other from the shadows. And then you've got um, Benton banging the fuck out of that owner's wife because, um, you know, the owner basically said to his wife that, you know, he trusts her. And then she decided she might be able to get more money by going with Benton. So then she tells him she trusts him. It's not as. uh, Engaging as it sounds, but basically, you know, there's a big double, triple cross kind of going on throughout the film. So this all comes to a head, Um, you know. And there's spoilers in this, by the way. So it turns out that Kyle is actually the brother of the main ski instructor that got, uh, excuse me, snowboard instructor that got killed the year before. Um, And so that's why he's there. And in terms of, of course, he's a cop. He's undercover. He's trying to investigate what's going on. So uh, he decides to go full blown after Benton. And by this time, Benton has figured out that, you know, he's, you know, figured out a way to get the money from the owner guy and just kind of tie up all the loose ends. So basically he tells him, you know, he's going to, he's going to, you know, turn him in for wiping all the events of the robbery uh, killings from the year before under the rug. In other words, he's going to go to the, you know, the feds or something and say, Hey, this guy covered it all up, you know, with the sheriff and basically try to take him down. So the owner decides he's going to give him, you know, his other share of the money. But, you know, when Benton shows up, he decides, fuck it, I'm not going to, you know, argue with this guy. And he also knew that the owner was going to, Kill him before giving him any money. He, so, when he shows up, of course, there's a gunfight, and Benton kills the owner and kills his wife, who he was banging. So, it, it, basically, at this point, Benton gets all the money, and he's trying to escape. Him and his other cronies. And at this point, uh, Kyle, you know, is kind of tipped off to this as well, and goes after him. And there's a. F- fucking awesome climactic fight that takes place on the ski hill where this thing is filmed like near the resort uh, so there's, so it's basically these snowboarders go after these skiers and it's like snowboarders and skiers fighting each other they're like you know tons of like cool like jumps and stunts that are happening so they did a really good job with that it looks awesome when they're going down the hill and you know there's fucking gunfights happening while they're traveling like you know super fast down the hill there's like all these cool jumps and shit happening like i mentioned it just looks awesome. For a low budget film, I was really surprised. You know, this, this feels like almost like if it had a little bit more money, it could have been a bigger release. And, you know, I don't want to give too much else the the way of the ending of the movie. It's, it's, it's fairly predictable. You kind of know what's going to happen. But with that said, you know, I was really, really surprised by how entertained I was by this film. Um, You know, if you, I don't know, um, you know, I always reference VHS Companies, release companies, because that's sort of my reference point. But, you know, Action International Pictures, or AIP as they call it, you, if you, again, if you went to the video store, you saw a bunch of these movies in the shelves back in the 90s. But they put out movies almost exclusively like this, you know, a lot of stuff with like Ted Pryor. Um, you know, Deadly Prey is a good example that's kind of in the same, you know, same wheelhouse as this. And then you got, you know, all kinds of stuff. You got, tons of martial arts movies that came out in that same label and same company. And so this is in the same vein as all of that. I I bet you that if it had, you know, a wider release, you know, AIP probably would have picked it up, you know, and they probably would have put uh, some names in this, because there's really no names in this. Um, One thing I did mention, I think that the most famous person in this probably is that Darla Han. Um, you know, girl who plays the secretary at the ski resort, who's the love interest of Kyle, the main good guy. And uh, one thing I forgot to mention, she was not kind of a big film. She was in uh, the movie Creature uh, with Wings Hauser from 1985, which I'm sure a lot of you older horror heads have seen. Um, anyways, uh, so I would say... You know, this is a new discovery for me, this Philip J. Roth guy. Uh, He he made some movies that I actually do own copies of, and I didn't realize he had his start with, like, really cheesy, awesome action films. So I'm definitely going to try to get a copy of Fatal Revenge. And I would definitely recommend, if you like cheesy action movies, if you like... Movies that take place kind of during the holidays or kind of in a snowy sort of environment. You know, ski hill, you know, films films that take place in mountains are always fun to watch. And this is definitely a good example of one. Um, You know, you could watch this alongside like Cliffhanger and Iced and like, you know, movies like that, you know. So definitely try to seek a copy of this out just for your own viewing enjoyment. There's. Uh, copies to be had probably somewhere out there you can you know scour ebay and amazon you might find a copy and get lucky or like i said you know go and download one from many of the trusted illegal sites that many others use to get films i'm sure it will be somewhat attainable so next time time around maybe i'll do something a little bit more readily available i did just get a copy of uh, Tammy and the T Rex in the mail today. I've seen the movie before, but never seen the R-rated cut. The original movie is rated PG-13, um, and I'll talk a little bit more about that. Vindicator Syndrome just put it out, actually, um, so it might be something worth checking out um, if you're into, um, you know, movies that have killer dinosaurs in them. So, um, all right, thanks again, everyone. See you soon.
6: jimmy mcdonough works on by wn by nwr
5: is he is he is he actually because i see he wrote on there
6: i didn't know if he was but he's the ed, he's the edit ed, was it the editorial director of the of the whole group so he kind of helps okay. like, you know like but then he'll like when it's something that he's kind of into he writes about it so like he did the piece for this for that film He's written a piece, a couple of pieces for Andy uh, in there. Yeah, but he's because why not? Why when you have a guy like that in there? Because he he knows a lot about weird film and stuff like that. And I, the people they have on there are pretty good. Bob Muir. And it's an interesting group of people. And the people they've put, picked to like do do segments and do writing pieces like they've had Kayleigh Janice and. You know, it's it's, yep. a, it's a cool it's a cool website. I mean, the problem is, it's like you know you got to watch everything on a fucking tablet. I mean, I have a, I think movies really like affiliated with them, so you can like subscribe to movie and watch all the films that are on there. Besides that, if you don't want to pay for a subscription company, it's you know you got to watch them on tablets or your phone. So
5: or on a computer. Oh yeah, which I, I mean, if you have like a streaming device from your uh, PC or your yeah. Mac or whatever you use, uh, yeah, you're stuck kind of watching it on a computer. But yeah. honestly. It's an entire experience. What they're giving is a little bit different than the vast majority of services is that they're not just giving you the movies. They're also giving you the history. They're giving you behind the scenes. They're giving you editorial on Mm. uh, like context of where these movies came from and the surrounding uh, history concerning that era, mm-hmm. which I absolutely love. And, and, and at first it seems like it's a daunting task to really jump into any of the movies on by NWR.com because there's just so much yeah. that's there. Mm-hmm. But when when it's something like this, uh The House of Seven Bells made in 1979, which is a was a lost Andy Milligan film and is only really a work print. It's not even I mean, this is this is a thing that's even stated on the website is that there's no end to this movie. And to to have this in the state that it's in, which is a fairly pristine copy, and then to have all of these people that were either directly involved with Andy Milligan commenting and writing on it or really um, well-renowned critics or journalists uh, dealing with film and genre film at that. Speaking about it and giving more information than you would have on even some of maybe his finer works, it's it's so unbelievably refreshing. Like when I was sitting there watching this, I'll I'll gladly sit at my computer so I can read this on one screen or on one tab, and then having the have the movie on the other to be able to piggyback back and forth. Yeah, and I think for me, and I don't know about you guys, but. It made it a, a much more enriching experience that I wish maybe I had had for some of the other Milligan movies.
6: Yeah, definitely. You know, I, I, I've i gone through that website a shitload of times because there's just stuff in there that I've been watching because um, they pick really great stuff. And, yeah, the fact that they actually do like articles about the films they're talking about or about like the overall subject matter that they're talking about is interesting as fuck. Nicholas Winding Refn is a guy who makes unique film and he's kind of one of those outliers of directors around who kind of, he's like, Hey, I like these people. This is why I'm interested in them. And he's, you know, he, he, he actually sounds truthful about the stuff that he likes, you know, and mm-hmm. I've read stuff about him talking about Milligan and how kind of like, you know, how he feels like it's, you know, it's all over the place. It's crazy and shit like that, but he kind of admires it for like how, you know, he just did it you know, he just made film.
5: Well, oh, and how on, even though it's, it's, most of it's stupid and, and yeah. can't really be looked at as like serious film. Oh. Milligan took it seriously and Milligan put his, put everything into
6: it. Yeah. He was very, and he was very honest. A lot of his, you know, the one thing I like about Milligan's work is that it's honest. It feels like a man's kind of deranged look at the world. You know what I mean? Like, however, and, you know, you're reading through his book and his, you know, he's kind of a, a, a real character you know what i mean He's That's putting it lightly yes he's, he's off the <laughs> fucking wall but <clears throat> you can definitely tell that he's you know he's making these films pretty much off the cuff you know just coming out with shit left right and center and he's making it and he's doing it and he's you know and he's having a great time doing it
7: and he likes to show his his uh literature cred too yeah I mean, yeah, with this show, definitely. Well,
6: that,
5: the, the, that's another thing is because he was kind of a vagabond uh, in, in his early life, living kind of like a, a carny life, doing theater productions here and there, back and forth, because um, he was born in Minnesota, then eventually made his way out to New York, made his way to Cali and was kind of piggybacking, jumping back and forth with productions until he kind of landed in New York for a while. Uh, you can kind of see why his films are like these big ensemble cast there's so many so much talking so much life behind the characters that are going on because that's the life that he actually lived yeah. these all these weird like outliers of society these people that necessarily didn't necessarily ever have voices all have voices in his movies which to me while I've been dogging Milligan quite a bit on these episodes because the movies for the most part, suck. <laughs> they're they're not fun movies to watch, um, but I think in in true artist fashion, sometimes what happened behind the scenes informs what's going on on screen and enriches what's going on on screen. And the more we've kind of dug into Andy Milligan, and we've we've found out more. At least in my own journey. With this is that reading more and finding more out about him makes these movies so much more interesting because of any you can't really say this about a lot of directors that are working today of any directors that I've watched in recent memory. There has been no other s- filmmaker that I've seen who's like his films are such a a, a straight line expression of his soul (laughs) (laughs) more than these shitty hokey period piece monster movies (laughs) like it's unbelievable the more i read about andy milligan how these hokey ass fucking movies are essentially him working out all the fucking bullshit that had happened in his life now the movie we're going to talk about right now this unfinished post-civil war era drama The House of Seven Bells, as we had said before, is an unfinished work print, so there's no score, which we didn't even talk about in the other movies. The uh, Carnage, actually, to back up a little bit, Carnage, I actually liked the score for. It was it was oddly '80s in a lot of ways, with a lot of synth, yeah, and it was kind of uh, atmospheric. Uh, Legacy of Blood there wasn't one single second of it that didn't have fucking (laughs) shitty stock music all over it. So walking into house of seven bells with zero music. So nice. Holy fuck. It was amazing. (laughs) So refreshing. Uh It was unbelievable. The first thing you like, you can focus on, The constant dialogue (laughs) (laughs) and all the the twisty, turny plot elements that are going on in this movie. So right off the bat, you'll notice there's no music. uh, There's a lack of sound in certain scenes. It's more like an assembly cut than it is anything. And the movie just ends on this note where you're obviously something else is supposed to happen. And even though I know off air Vaughn, you had said that you felt that that was probably a good note to end out on. Yeah, it does feel like there there should be more
6: that's there. I agree. So having said that, I understand that there's holes and stuff like that. But but I feel like at that point in such a good crescendo that she's dead cut to credits. I understand that there's more that there's more that should be worked on. There's there's other there's a the whole shit little other characters in there that need to be like uh, over you know. But like for like a film where it's like you're at already at ninety minutes, like you're gonna <laughs> yeah. go into the ten minutes in this film. But it's like, definitely
7: it's definitely not the main thread or a main thread. Like there's there's like seven or eight of those, and I I believe that there's a main thread that either. Milligan needed some time like special effects for maybe like that's in my dreams Um, or or he painted himself into a corner and could not
5: come up with a consistent ending, which is, or I think he ran out of resources is what happened is he, he just flat out ran out of film, ran out of budget and circumstances happened around him that forced him to sit this movie. So, We'll get to uh, the ending and talking about the ending later in this discussion, because one of the main things that's brought up on uh, by NWR dot com is that they're running a contest right now, along with all of the ephemera that's that they've put up there for House of Seven Bells, all the editorials and the 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 photos and all this other stuff. They're running this contest right now until March, where They are looking for the fans to come up with the ending of this movie. How does this end? He wants you to film this, either film it, uh, write it, uh, do a podcast, which we're kind of doing right now um, in in just describe what the fuck the ending of this movie is so we'll get to that's going to be later where i don't know if you boys came up with anything but i definitely came up with an ending to this movie so we'll pitch our endings at the end of the discussion here but until that point what this movie is about is about a a bunch of bickering sisters of the lafleur family which uh this is taking place Directly after the Civil War has ended, the South has lost the war. And this once prominent family, Southern family, now all the males have died in the war. And this group of sisters are sitting on this plantation as their money is starting to slowly go away. And the town that they live in are parasitically trying to take them down. And little by little, due to this lack of money and due to their (laughs) ridiculously pompous attitudes towards life they are eating each other alive and the town is trying to take them down upon watching this the first time that i saw this this was a lot to take in i've watched this twice now and it wasn't until the second time watching this where i was like okay i get this because there are so many characters floating in and out of this movie of just about Any of Milligan's movies It cuts all over the place And it's just A lot it's a grand Scale movie which I Wasn't expecting Vaughn were you expecting A movie of this scale From Milligan
6: no not at all (laughs) Not at all And the fact that like you know we've seen other Films where he's done the costumes And they look like paper mache crap Uh, In this film it actually Looks like he was able to break into A goddamn costume shop and Get all the goddamn costumes, or he was able to make all. That Probably shit. made them
5: himself. I mean, mm-hmm. we all know up to this point we had talked about in the past that Milligan was a costume designer, yeah. and in his biography he, he talks extensively about he ran his own
6: clothing design shop. Yeah. And the thing is, for years, everybody in the film is great. It's a kind of typical thing of him. So somebody is killing off people left, right, and center.
5: But that doesn't really happen until the last act of this movie where it goes, it's mostly a drama about these women and how they're ske- they're all scheming each other to try and yes. get uh, the the fortune right. of this family.
6: Is it a silver fortune or am I just losing my mind? Or is that another uh, no, side story? So
7: there is silver in the family and sort of the the most uh, lowly of the parasites are the, uh, the servants and they're stealing yeah. the silver. But uh-huh. the more <laughs> upscale and more ambitious parasites are trying to get a hold of the deeds to the property because uh, um, the railroad man wants to put uh, uh, tracks through their house.
5: Which isn't said until a latter uh, act reveal. Mm Mm-hmm. When, when all of a sudden, everyone's starting to be killed by yet again a
6: Jiali masked killer <laughs> out of nowhere. Yeah, you have sisters. You have sisters who are selling off brothers to kind of marriage, and it's definitely like this kind of wheeling and dealing like of this family to kind of keep the lineage going somehow. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I really liked it. Like, I, I think Good. the enjoy able the, well, the enjoy. I don't know. I, like, I I've watched it twice so far, and I was watching before the show started. The thing is, like, I, like. I, I kind of got why he was going to start killing people off because it has to, there has to be some kind of way to clear this all out. You know what I mean? There's so many people in this film. There's a lot of cast. You have like what, six sisters. It's like the, I think, don't they bring up the Bronte sisters at one point? does not somebody reading that book?
7: Yeah. One of the characters is reading Wuthering
6: Heights. Wuthering Heights. That's it. And it's like, Oh, you're trying to like, Oh, I know what you're, you're referencing something here with this, with this blatant, like fucking Mack truck of a comment. <laughs> it's like oh we we're, we're talking about weathering heights so we're kind of doing the same kind of thing in a weird way
7: they definitely reference they reference gone with the wind of course that's an easy one um they reference um they re- they reference house of seven gables which i i texted you guys i mean the, the name of the movie or the current name of the movie house of seven bells uh reflects it and one of the characters is named he- hecuba and the main character in house of seven gables is hepzibah Um, and, uh, that is one of the most interesting parts of the movie, um, because it's not simply, you know, parasites trying to get the whole of the property. Milligan has also put pieces of all of his genre work in here, including, you know, uh, intrigue about, you know, are all the sisters from the same father and, and, and all this kind of stuff. And, and one of the sisters, the oldest, can, uh, repeatedly visits this old, one hundred and one year old woman named Hecuba, and <laughs> and it, it's apparent, and and through the conversation, you find out that she seems to be the offspring of the great grandfather, or the gra- the great grandfather uh, had an illegitimate child with one of the slaves, and so she's this voodoo woman that lives out in in a shack.
5: We, we have a, a mentally challenged individual that, which is basically the normal Milligan uh, Quasimodo yep. character Judd. we have. So, so that's another thing that's, <laughs> that's in it. here. That's in all of his other movies. There's a sexual deviant in this movie. One of the sisters is shacking up secretly with this guy who's basically a pedophile. Right. And it's known through the community that he likes
7: hooking up with kids <laughs> And it's so bad when it, the exposition, when he, when he, he, he meets her and he's like four years ago today and you were only 14 years old. And it's like, <laughs> it's so ridiculous. The, uh, establishing that part, but yeah.
5: Yep. And, but the thing is, even with all of this, it's a fairly straight laced drama for three quarters of the film. Then the final act happens. Yep. And as Vaughn had said, all of a sudden, people start getting killed off yep. one by one in the most ridiculous ways. yep. Uh, most of the deaths,
6: I mean, of course, you had in typical Milligan fashion you have someone getting their hands cut off because it's a even if it was a work print, the scene where the person gets a hand cut off and you clearly can see this oh. stump from the like <laughs> yeah, in, uh, she's yeah. Going, like she's raising out with her hand. You could see this that it's a mannequin stump that she's using, like she's holding on to with her hand. Even if this was a finished film, I'd be like, uh, I mean, it's fun it's still a great scene when she gets killed but it's like oh, really you couldn't like
5: that probably would have been cut you'd like to think that that would have been <laughs> yeah, trimmed maybe. up a little like, I,
6: I like the fights between they're actually like fist fights in this film they're actually fun fist fights even though you can rarely see you can clearly see that he wanted to cut something in between that fist fight yep. but he didn't have yeah, they're,
5: the, the edits real loose yeah. super loose edit which tra- again like I said this <laughs> is like an assembly edit another thing I like about
6: is when, when women slap men you have occasionally the women who know how to slap a guy and make that sound that really hard fucking and slap and the guys are not mm-hmm. expecting it you can see, clearly see it in their face when they get slapped in the mouth that they're like wait i didn't expect you to hit me that hard you know and they're supposed to spit out lines but they're clearly like uh what the fuck just happened and you can hear the women who don't know how to slap like that and still slap people and, they, and the guys and i'm saying every guy in this is just like well she's gonna hit me right and they're like okay yeah and they still react like you just fucking hit me like as they're about to spit out their like they're, they kind of flumble the lines because they just got smacked in the face <laughs> I love that kind of bullshit. You know, the deaths, you have a cripple guy. You have a guy and this time. He's not a hunchback. He's actually a guy with crutches. Oh my
5: God. Let's talk <laughs> about this guy a little bit. We got this guy who had to be amputated due to a war injury, <sighs>
6: which, which is gross as fuck. When we, when we introduced that character and they're like sticking his stump with like fucking I'm like, Oh, I'm like that is gnarly because
5: they had to lance it because obviously he, it's infected. Yeah. But it's like- so they have to try and like Ugh. push out the pus in the infection and it is, it, yes, one, it is gross, but on another, it is so plastic and shitty looking <laughs> that she's like holding it so that the apparatus doesn't come off of his leg, which is obviously bent backwards. Yeah. <laughs> And then there's a scene later on in the movie where they go for a walk, mm-hmm. which reminded me of. I don't uh, I'm sure you boys have seen this, but Jean Roland did this movie called Zombie Lake yeah. where the zombie walks with his daughter yeah. <laughs> during the day. Mm-hmm. This really shady sequence. This reminded me of that. And the fake leg obviously the dude has his leg tied up behind him and the the fake stump is sticking out almost looks like this tremendously huge boner sticking straight out Yeah, as he's walking with crutches it it, is
6: so shitty but they do a good job of hiding it with like him making making him wear like long coats and stuff like that so you can't really tell that you
5: really think that I
6: I couldn't tell I like the fact that I like the fact when he's walking around with his, like, betrothed, the woman he's kind of in love with that he wants to, you know, run away with. Um, another thing, yeah, another thing is, is that it's clearly that this was made in Staten Island because nobody, they're supposed to be in the south, and like, the deep south, and clearly no one has any fucking accents. They're all speaking, you know, their typical kind of, you know, New York style, not like y'all. There are some, there there are some people. Some of the, uh, some of the people who are stealing the copper, they clearly are like from people from fucking Staten Island. They have that Staten Island accent. You're like, oh my god. But like when he's like, when she finds the dead body, uh, like pinned to the fucking tree, which I thought was awesome. I thought it was a, it was if that was a cast member just like with makeup on, it was really gnarly looking. But if it was, it was pretty creepy looking. It was like holy shit. And she passes straight out. She screams and falls right to the ground. It's like. And he has to freaking limp his way over there to find out what's going on. Well, speaking of the location, it's not only the accents that give this thing away. Yeah. Exterior shots of telephone lines. Yeah. Or, or the fact that you actually can hear the you hear traffic in the background. Uh, <laughs> in some scenes, you can hear something in the background. It sounds like cars going past. Um, another problem with Andy's films is that because when they're in like outside, you can clearly see that somebody's walking through the light um in scenes oh. um yes and you're like oh come on dude like this is a great shot this is a great scene these people are trying to they're showing they're expressing their love for each other and you can clearly see somebody walking through the light like the you know he has a you know a freaking f- a light bulb you know a big fucking flash behind him to kind of make the, the scene a little brighter even though they're outside and somebody's clearly walking through and you can tell and it's like fuck like oh my god and he doesn't you know he doesn't care about that shit it's like you know, he's like, no one's gonna notice that. Well, even having
5: said that, though, there are dolly shots in this movie. Um, it's yes. it's as
6: you had said before. Well, the- I don't know. I, like I don't. I don't know. A dolly. Maybe it's a guy in a fucking like a like a stool with the camera over. Well, his it's head. definitely you a dolly track.
5: <laughs> there's there's sequences where there's the, the group of the women that are sitting in this big room knitting together and talking, and we get at least a half circle dolly around them.
6: And those are some of the best scenes when they're sitting in that half dark room knitting together and arguing with each other. And people start
5: tossing decapitated heads into the room for no reason at all. Yeah, that was that
7: was the first death. And honestly, that was actually pretty early in the movie. Um, Uh And that was that kind of brings us into the fact that most of the deaths seem to have point to different actors being the motivated killer.
6: Yeah, it's it's not it's not I don't know how he's going to I don't know how he would fucking figure that out because it seems like it's multiple people doing the killing. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then like, am I mistaken? Or is there the grandparents were sitting up in the like their dead parents were sitting up in the attic?
5: Like Texas like Texas Chainsaw Massacre. (laughs) Yeah. So so one of what Vaughn's referring to is that one of the daughters periodically goes up into the attic to where there is like hermetically sealed casket of their dad he looks like a knight from the medieval ages sitting <laughs> dead and she just sits and in, in pines over wishing he would come back to help them out because the family's falling apart they try and set up a lot of red herrings as to where it, eventually like toward the last act where all of a sudden we start having this like ghastly ones, everyone's getting killed one by one and the entire town uh-huh. is eating itself alive. And everyone, it's basically mayhem. Like everyone's dying yeah. in this fucking town. And sometimes it's, it's by, as we have said, a jolly killer. <laughs> But other times we end up finding out, as we had said before, the gypsy woman, this hundred year old gypsy woman is casting voodoo spells and and doing carnage level hijinks and parlor tricks in bars (laughs) and stuff. So, boys,
6: when it got down to the end,
5: was the voodoo lady the killer?
7: She kid she definitely killed Radigan.
6: But I think I think, like I said, with the sister that's the one who visits the father. Because she's the one who is the one who ultimately kills the other sister when she throws her down the the hill, right? If I'm not nope. mistaken. Nope. Nope. No, nope? it's a different person. Okay. But I think but I can clearly put it that her and the voodoo lady are kind of working together and causing this shit to happen. You know? Because she seems deranged because she's up there talking to her father about him coming back to life. You know, that would be an interesting way to end it. It would also be an interesting way to just kind of throw the whole thing out there and just be like, oh, the father's been alive the whole time and he's the one killing everybody and he's been, sleep- he's been sleeping in that bed thing, just kind of faking them all out. You know, and all of a sudden the father's the one in the fucking, he comes in the knitting circle with whoever else is left and he's like, Ha, oh, it's like, holy shit, cut, to, cut the credits. You know, I know I know the film leaves it open to like who could be the killer, but I, I don't mind the way the film ends because it hits 90 minutes and you're like, wait, this is going to go past 90 fucking minutes. Like, what's he going to do? And like, yeah, definitely, there are definitely spots within this work print where you can cut it down because there are a lot of spots where it's just emptiness, nothing going on. Like, you know, not like within the film. I mean, like there's like holes because he's just placing all this shit together. So it's all in one piece. But I don't know. I really don't know how to like completely end that. And I I feel like like you were saying, Derek, is that he kind of wrote himself into a hole, into like into a corner and was like, uh, I don't know what to do. Well, so just kind of ran out of Yeah, time. like Daisy, the uh,
7: youngest mute. Yeah. She definitely had a motivation to kill Judd because Judd raped her. Yep. <clears throat> That's the guy that was nailed to the tree. You know, the first person that got killed was a woman named Charity in this in the knitting circle. And all she did was start a rumor or at least perpetuate a rumor that there was... Um, funny business with their mother that her mother was sleeping around, so it could have been I suppose any of them that cared about the family name and then later on, you have murders that were definitely done or most likely done by Augusta, who is the aunt. There's a scene when the amputee tells her only her, yeah about the fact that the railroad's coming through the through the house and, and she says, oh, I'm going to go tell Violet but then she's thinking, wait, I can get this house. So she just immediately throws, well, we think it's her, throws acid on it. Yeah, well, in a
5: completely him. like out of nowhere scene where someone <laughs> knocks on the door, the amputee <laughs> walks over to the door and acid. who the fuck at that time had a vat of acid to throw at anybody but it <laughs> Just on hand. <laughs> so this guy but then it was actually a fairly decent scene we see him writhe around with all with this latex falling off of his face and he's screaming (laughs) but then
7: she goes up to to mess with the deeds in the attic at night and somebody kills her so like it could just be that everybody's killing Mm -hmm. each other for different reasons yep um, but I really struggle with a main thread, like the, the thing that Andy wants to do. And I feel like Andy really wants to do something with incest. I was looking for incest so hard in this movie.
5: I think the, the pedo angle is, was the subversiveness. Of this movie, there was a prostitute, uh, a prostitute character in the movie, which kind of brought a little bit of, and I don't want to say this is like shaming sex work in any way, but it was kind of in the movie portrayed as a deviance. And um, mm-hmm. then the the pedo character, those are like the two, the only two characters that really have any sexual deeds going on in this movie. There's a lot of hinting mm-hmm. towards characters hooking up but those were the only two direct where he kind of went beyond just mildly talking about it and he went straight into the content
7: so let me give you a line that i that i i noticed when uh, violet is talking to her dead father right in the last five minutes and she says i've wanted to die i've wanted to come be with you but you know my sisters could never live without me they couldn't exist without me you know that, Daddy. Yeah. You know, it's like and, and I was like, yeah.
5: are you doing this? Yeah, that's what I thought too.
7: <laughs> I but I couldn't work it in. I didn't know exactly how to work it in.
6: Like I said, you have to he really kind of he worked himself into a froth with this. <laughs> and just kind of like was like, oh shit, I can't finish this.
5: Well, that's where it, it would have been so amazing if we would have found a script for
6: this. Yes, it would be nice, wouldn't it? They're on the beach, and he just she chucks her off like a two foot fucking embankment <laughs> into a death, which is like yeah,
7: the only murder that we know who did it is so is, her. is the least motivated. It's like that's the the ridiculous, the most ridiculous murder there. Like I can't believe she did that.
6: Another crazy idea would be the film for the for an Ending of this film would be that all the sisters are slowly just killing everyone around them because they want to continue the kind of lineage mm-hmm. they have, and they just feel that and they feel like this person, like the the cripple, is getting in too involved with the the other sister. So the one sister kills him. This person gets killed because of this sister, this person, you know, because everybody, all these people that are getting killed, they're all in the, or somehow in like involved with the sisters in general. You know what I mean? Or they're involved within their work or within their family or whatever. So it's just, and the sisters are just accidentally killing each other because they're realizing that, oh, these sisters are the ones who are causing right. problems. You know what I mean? Like the one sister who gets thrown off the off the hill, she is a prostitute. You know what I mean? So she gets killed. Because she's working in a whorehouse,
7: but but the the one who throws her off the hill, her name her she was Iris, I think she was the second oldest. And once she says to her before she throws her off, she's um, Lily. She says, "You you can't do this to your own sister." And she says, "You're no sister of mine." And throws her off. And yeah. that's also kind of went into my conspiracy theory that they're not all mm. like complete full sisters.
6: Yeah, the the husband like, like like what's the other film that we watched that's like that where it's oh yeah it's like, like the ghastly ones where where the sisters are all or you know the 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 sister that's killing everybody is from the first marriage right or from the right you know and and she's been kind of told that she wasn't part of the family but the other sisters never knew about her and then she's slowly killing off everyone around them because she wants the money for herself like mean, whatever the father had left over. It's like, that would be interesting with this film. But then it would be like, ugh, because it's like, that would be, I would be so pissed off if that ended up where it's like, oh, it's secretly the, the gardener's like daughter who was killing it. Because, because he had, because the father had sex with the mother and never told, you know, and, and she just kind of kept it to herself. And then she found out somehow and then started killing everybody, went left, right and center. And it'd be like, ugh, you know what I mean? Something dumb like that.
5: Well, I think a lot of it is in line with, Something that I read in the book that uh, Jimmy McDonough kind of brings up is that Andy Milligan has real problems with family, with the idea of family and that nothing good comes about a group of people that are tied by blood together, that it's always a bad idea. <laughs> so the the way this movie, the arc of it goes is that eventually not only the family, but the town whose only concerns are for money. It's not for love. It's not for anything other than they're all looking out for their own self-interest that they're all just disintegrating. Like it's all eating each other until the way I see it. The only way this can end is everyone fucking dies. And that's what ends up starting to happen in this movie. And for me, the progression from this completely intricate, and huge, grand plot <laughs> with all these characters and these interweaving stories, the way that it builds to this crescendo toward the end is easily one of the most satisfying things we've seen to this point. And the movie, even with with its rough edges, is completely engaging in every single way, in a way that none of the films we've talked about <laughs> tonight were <laughs> that have endings it, that have actual endings. Now, uh, from from what I read, this movie and this was written uh, by R.J. Smith on by NWR uh, dot com that supposedly the ending was never shot. Milligan ran out of money. The film was long considered lost until biographer Jimmy McDonough discovered it in materials. Andy had left him before dying. A few years before he had a falling out with his uh, distributor, Lou Mishkin, which Lou Mishkin would then come back into the fold. Uh, We'll talk about that a little bit more on the next episode when we talk about monstrosity. Milligan at this time was completely broke and contemplating moving off Staten Island where he ran a motel or a hotel, and he would ultimately, after everything kind of cascaded and fell apart. Moved to california so as i had said before i think the reason why we don't have an ending and why this movie never kind of was finalized is that life happened to milligan and money fell out and relationships fell out because his personality was just so huge and he had such problems (laughs) talking to anybody that uh this all everyone
6: probably just flipped in the bird said fuck you uh, yeah, he burnt. He burned too many bridges, and he just had nowhere to he go. Had no, no to go, go yeah, nowhere to go. Nothing Yeah, but but the thing is, so so wait, hold on. Let me just recap what you said there. He was running. He was owning a motel. How fucking creepy would that be to have him as a fucking guy? You buying a? <laughs> can I rent the room from you? And like he's just fucking pissed and angry at you, throwing keys at you. Was you like? Hey, take these, go fuck your rooms over there. What do you do? What are you doing Tuesday? Can Can you fit into this? Can your wife fit into this dress? <laughs> You know, I think
5: what wouldn't surprise me. I mean, a lot of the actors, there are recurring actors from other movies in this movie. One of the uh, one of the sisters, or uh, was it the aunt, was one of the sisters in Legacy of Blood. Mm -hmm. One of the guys from, I'm trying to think, was it from Red Rooster? It was from one of the other movies. Plays uh, a stewardess or a steward. In this movie that that's uh, they're trying to hire him to make new dresses, which for the first time in any of Milligan's movies is the most direct tie to Andy Milligan. Like right. he he basically without casting himself in the movie, he put himself in this movie as the gla- as the gay clothes designer, Willie, Willie. In this movie, that guy, he's been in a couple other movies, but that's as Milligan a as character is, as has ever been in, in any of these films. Let's get to the ending of this and our pitches for okay. what we think the ending of this movie should be. Now, I'm going to ask you before we, we get to talking about this. Do each of you have an ending you think you want for this?
6: Well, like I put, like I put out two ideas of endings that I think would work. One that the the you know the zombie father in the attic is really, you know, a zombie father. Her dreams have come true, and she he's slowly killing everyone around them. And then all of a sudden, dun dun dun, he's in the knitting circle in the center, and just ah, just going to town trying to kill every one of them, um, inclu- you know he he just you know that'd be fun. Milligan does um, name
7: the name the property Transfloria. <laughs>
6: or the other one would be that like i said the sisters are so kind of deranged that they feel like everyone around them is kind of dirtying the water of their name so they slowly start killing off the people who are involved with each another sister that they feel is you know causing a problem but that ultimately means that some of the sisters are going to start killing each other because they realize oh you're a horrible person oh you're a whore you know, so it, it'd be great if that would be just the ending where it's just like two sisters are left. And it's like, oh, wait, but you killed this guy and then you killed this guy. And then they go both go to town. And, you know, I
7: got it. I just came up with an ending. All right. OK.
5: Go. All right. Go for it.
7: So one of the things that's established, it's kind of it's 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 subtle. But in the conversations between Violet and Hecuba, in one part of our, their conversation, she says, I could have been in La floor Basically, and Violet says, "You, you said you'd never talk about that. Don't talk about that." She might be considered an heir to that uh, family because she's the oldest one, and probably came about from the earliest Lafleur, the, the great grandfather. So um, she's remind she's constantly reminding Violet, "You owe me, uh, and I don't want you to be sorry." She says. And to me, I don't know where they're keeping the father in the glass casket, but it seems to be close to Hecuba. I I almost thought it was in like a uh, basement uh, around there because she points over. She says, go visit your daddy.
5: Either an attic or the basement. That's what I (laughs) took it as. Yeah,
7: yeah. So I'm going to say that the ending has to do with Hecuba claiming, uh, you know, sort of maybe raising – the the father from the dead, because I want him to come back from the dead and basically uh, taking the property from everybody. She's the, the only rightful heir to the whole property.
5: Hmm. This is very interesting. The three of us have intersected <laughs> in our pitches in very odd ways. So here's, here's my ending pitch for by NWR.com. Let's set the stage, folks. All of these intersecting stories and all this madness comes to a head as all of the characters that are remaining run to the La Fleur estate, all bickering and fighting in one last orgasm of catty nonsense. The gypsy, Hecuba, seeing this as her opportunity to strike and end it all, comes in and starts using her voodoo powers to take them all out, almost like in uh, Carnage where Just weird nonsense starts happening. She comes in using her voodoo powers down in the crypt. Daddy, sensing this unnatural power, attempting to wipe out his family, comes back from the dead and locks into battle with Hecuba, (laughs) like the end of Ghoulies, where the house is crumbling around them as Hecuba and Daddy are fighting each other with, with shitty lightning bolts flying all over the place. The LaFleurs and others scatter all over the house, but can't seem to escape the house. The film ends with the house crumbling, then erupting into flames. Everyone dies. An epilogue then happens where a crew of men are building the railroad tracks over the land of the LaFleur mansion, which has now been razed, and they're finally building the railroad over top of it. One of the workers just totally exhausted from this work breaks from the work to wipe his brow. And while he does so, he sees a voodoo doll laying nearby and picks it up. The camera cuts to his face, which suddenly is etched in pain. Is the spirit of the voodoo woman really dead? <laughs> the end question mark. <laughs> All right. Is this how the spirit of the, of the, is this a tie to the, to carnage? Where she is the spirit that possesses this house? Is this the beginning of the AMCU, the Andy Milligan cinematic universe?
7: <laughs> the Haunted Railroad. <laughs> yeah, right? Oh my God. <laughs> well, you definitely had the best presentation.
5: <laughs> that all came to me like instantly. As soon as the last five minutes of the movie, I'm like, yeah, this is where this goes.
7: <laughs> I mean,
5: it has to involve Hecuba. It has to involve the dad in Hecuba. Something yeah. has to happen to those two characters. The rest <laughs> of the people obviously are just going to die and consume themselves. But you don't set up these two characters without having some resolution with them and have it escalate to, a, to somewhere that's ridiculous because you've already kind of built up. Why would you have the dad up there? and not have something happen, and why would you have Hecuba with these powers that just walks back and just decides to leave it all? Who is a Lafleur? Yeah. I think I'm in agreement with you, boys. There needs to be a final climactic battle between these two entities. So, anyways, there's our pitches. Uh, When all is said and done, Vaughn, where did you come out on House of Seven Bells?
6: I I liked it a lot. Like I said, because there's It's so quiet. There's no music Um, and it's well written and well put together, you know, faulting an an actual ending. I I liked it. I think it's a, I think it's a fun little film that everyone should go on to buy nwr.com and check out because it's, yeah, it's 90 minutes. It tells, it tells a good story. There are, you know, there's a lot of holes in it. That's mainly because it's just not finished. Um, But it's, it's probably his best film. I wouldn't I wouldn't put it in in the list of films like for me, but for me, it's probably one of his best films he's ever made. You know, and it's sad that like he would burn all his bridges, and and he would not technically leave California because the next two things he'd do after this Carnage and the Red Rooster would be done in New York mm-hmm. too. For it was like a what a six year gap or something like that between this film no, 5 year gap so 79 and
5: 84. I mean, we're jumping um, all over the place on these episodes. We're not really doing this chronologically.
6: No, but so. if if this was actually if this is a finished film, if this was finished film, it'd probably be next to Carnage, probably tied with Carnage. Because I think Carnage is the most digestible film he's ever made. And it's, you know, any film... And like I've said like before, last last episode, we were talking about Fleshpot and Nightbirds. And I told you... And I said that I would... If I had to give anybody any films, I'd give them those two films. I To be honest, I would probably give them Fleshpot and, and Carnage as films to go here. This is what the man has done. Because, you know, Fleshpot is probably one of the better dramas he did. And Carnage is probably one of the best horror movies he'd done. And if this film was actually finished, I think it would be these two films would be the films I would hand to somebody and say, hey, you want to get into his films? Watch these two films. So it's high praise.
5: Awesome. Evan. Best period film. Definitely. Do you mean best best film
6: period or best
5: period Period, film?
7: Yeah. Period film, (laughs) meaning (laughs) Civil War setting. And um, and like Vaughn mentioned, the costumes, they're not annoying looking. Um, and this work print looks beautiful on the website it's, it's like one of the best things we've watched as far as, uh, video quality. And honestly, the fact that it's a work print doesn't really, it doesn't get in the way. Like we said, oh man, it's so nice not to have that stupid score. Yeah. Um, I mean, I don't know how, did he feel, you know, when he was, when he was putting these things together, did he feel, how much those scores were ruining his movies?
5: <laughs> uh, I, I, Evan, I think a lot of it is because they're such low budget pictures, he was masking a lot of audio. Oh yeah. He it, it was just covering up if you put a bad track there, it covers up some of the incidental background noise. Like cause we had talked about before in some of the other ones, you could hear him direct.
7: Yeah, I think you can in hear the audio it a couple times, too.
5: Yeah, you definitely can. And you could hear, you know, other background, you know, just ambience. So the reason why I think a lot of that score is there, in, especially in like, well, you can't really hear it in Legacy of Blood. But there is not one single fucking second of that movie without stock music <laughs> on it. Yeah, at all. So that's that's why, you know. A lot of that happened. It's a low budget trick to try and cover up and mask problems in audio.
7: So, you know, that's a that's a positive. Um, But I think that like if you're watching an Andy Milligan movie, you're not really watching movies. You're 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 getting into this interesting character, like we said, whose life is almost more interesting than his movies And his soul is being put into each of his productions. So for the fact that this is almost a novelty from the start, I mean, you're already into sort of a novelty, then who cares that this one doesn't have an ending? Watching this movie has every aspect of Milligan that we've seen so far stitched into it. So I think this is a perfect representation of like... The best that he was ever going to do, probably if it was finished it and it, it probably would have been one of the be- one of his best movies.
5: I almost think if this would have been taken away from him and finished by somebody else like post wise. This could have been per- perhaps his only bid towards a mainstream type movie. Right. I mean, it's still super ultra low budget, but I mean, it's content for the first thir- uh, three quarters of the movie It's a fairly straightforward drama. Yeah. And there are some of the photography, as you had said, is or Vaughn had said, actually quite beautiful, actually well done. But I don't this definitely couldn't be a movie that you would recommend somebody start off with. I mean, while it is absolutely probably the finest representation of distilled, pure distilled Milligan, I would definitely not start somebody out on this you would have to ease somebody in to this movie now seeing how we've watched so much of his filmography. This is, this is like a present. Yeah.
7: It's contextual. Like, yeah. If somebody hasn't seen any, then they're not going to appreciate what we're appreciating, which is the clarity, (laughs) you know,
5: and all of the, the, the various elements that in other films annoyed us had charm to them that now in this more concise, focused effort, work and as we've contextualized all this stuff now is becoming the endearing factor of andy milligan right (laughs) going forward with any of his work (laughs) so if you're a fan of milligan even remotely or even uh, uh, like joined us a little bit on this please go to by nwr.com and watch this movie it's fucking bonkers I would almost want to say this is in the, easily in the top five of his movies, yeah. even with no ending. I thoroughly enjoyed this. I When I rewatched it again today, because I watched it probably, I would say, when it came out a month ago. I think that's about when it came out, because they started the new batch of, uh, was it Chapter 7 and Chapter 8 on by MWR.com like a month or so ago. Mm. And uh, I watched it then. And I don't think I was ready. And I watched it when I watched it again today, man, I was just hooked. I could not take my eyes off the screen watching this thing today. So uh, huge thumbs up from all of us. And actually, I'm going to say this. My favorite movie of the night by far. Definitely. But it is fucking nuts. So anyways, that's it for tonight with Andy Milligan. Uh, we're going to take a short break when we come back. We're going to talk about uh, the next episode and shill our asses off. So stick around. Folks, we only have two more episodes of Andy Milligan nonsense unless Vaughn and Evan can find 50 more Milligan projects that we weren't aware of. All of a sudden, as we had said last year, 2019 may have been our described year of Milligan. 2020 is ramping up even more with fucking Andy Milligan. What the fuck is is this the decade of Andy Milligan? <laughs> that's
7: that's a tough sell.
5: I can't believe just the uh, The resurgence of all of this And the interest in all of this What do you, Vaughn, what do you think Is what's bringing Milligan back into the Zeitgeist, at least in Underground circles, what is it about this stuff That's making people talk about it
6: I think it's the fact that um, I don't know like You know, you have a director who Isn't very sought after and it's just people who like him um, are sitting there going, you need to watch this stuff, even though it's, you know, particularly deranged and off the wall, but you need to watch it. And like the guy had the gall. And like, if you're going to sit there and make fun of him, you have to sit there and watch his films and say, understand where he was coming from with them. You know what I mean? Like I, I love people who are, who constantly bag on bad film and stuff like that, but have no gall of actually understanding where the, where they're coming from with that, with these films. You know what I mean? And, his work is, it's, it's on his sleeve. His, you know, the way he, the way he treats people, the way he acts around people, the the way he respects women and stuff like that, it's all there. He doesn't, you know, he doesn't like people and you can tell it by the way he makes movies. (laughs) You know, they're just so dastardly evil. I, 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 love the fact that this is, you know, you have people like, you know, Jimmy McDonough who's been constantly waving the flag of Milligan for years. Um, and now you have, Nicholas Winding Refn, who's gotten you know he's gotten his feet, he's tipped his toe in the mil, in the milligan stuff, and now that he's kind of put his money where his mouth is with his website, he's gotten a, this is the second thing they put out of unfinished work of his. Compass Rose uh, was the other piece, which is a little more finished than this.
5: Even though even the the finished updated version of that, the audio still sucks. Well, yeah, you're, Big you're never gonna
6: yeah, there's certain you can't get you're never gonna get hundred percent with Andy. So
5: I I think somebody needs to do you know. Crom's work and do <laughs> captions on that movie, <laughs> please. Nicholas Winding Refn, please hire somebody to try and interpret what the <laughs> fuck is going on in Compass Rose, oh, so I can watch it and
6: put closed captions
5: on that movie. Please oh, hire somebody.
6: Yeah, that's a little much. Because <laughs> I don't, I don't know if even there's even someone in the right mind who wants to do that shit. But anyway, I, I, I like his work and I'm kind of the one out of the three of us that that's really kind of been championing this concept, this this ongoing uh trying to drive Derek insane by making him watch these films for the last year and a half. And I hey I, I enjoy everything the guy does, even even though I'm I do have you know, kinda of say that his stuff is kind of shit at times, but I I enjoy the hell out of it.
5: Oh, there's nothing wrong with it, and I think Oh now there's nothing wrong
6: with it. This time last year you were you were, you know, pretty much creating a bonfire of uh, Andy Milligan like you know you had an effigy in, in it and lit it on fire like those guys the fucking worst.
5: okay let's
6: let's speak contextually <laughs> though
5: <laughs> my my sample size of, of his work up until that point in my life was very small because everyone that I had watched were some of his worst movies and uh, as a as a film fan if I'm gonna go through with this, And say, all right, I'm going to dig into this. People keep talking about this. Let's give it a shot. Um, I'm going to open my mind to it. And over the course of us watching all of these movies, while I still don't enjoy the vast majority of his movies, I have warmed up to them. I am now going into the last couple episodes, and I think it's apparent, especially on this episode, I think I've turned an immense corner on Andy Milligan. And I, I especially with House of Seven Bells, after you know, I'm 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 researching, I'm digging deeper, I'm trying to wrap my head around what the fuck is going on in this with these movies in this individual, it's becoming more interesting, <laughs> at least to me. Um, Evan, what is your answer for this? Like, why do you think That this is worthwhile is this finally? Are are you because at first you were way into this. In the last few episodes, you started real. I I could hear your morale was going down (laughs) big time about this. Like you and I are like doing an opposite where you started off high and really started going low, and I was super low and now starting to actually going an upward tick where I'm starting to say, I actually kind of like some of this stuff now. What are are your thoughts on this, Evan?
7: Um, I'm getting excited about being done. I definitely (laughs) have gotten, I've definitely uh, uh, gotten fatigued uh, with it. This was just really interesting because of, you know, this new so some of the stuff we talked about tonight, it's brand new and the contest about the end and all that stuff. And so I like a puzzle. I'd like to try to figure something out. Mm-hmm. Um, sure. But I definitely, am, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm ready to move on to something else.
5: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, let's let's be very clear here. Vaughn ha- has been the champion of Andy Milligan since the very beginning. I'm not saying Andy Milligan's movies are good. <laughs> I'm saying they're interesting. Yeah, we
7: don't need to say that. <laughs> but, you know, they're definitely bad. They're definitely bad. <laughs> but,
5: they're 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 bad movies, but that doesn't mean that they're they they do not have worth. I mean, that's something here on Astral Radio Z I've tried to pound over and over again, is that somebody needs to be out there championing underground cinema there's so I I listen to podcasts and read stuff all the time and especially if you go on social media where everybody feels that their voice fucking matters about this bullshit (laughs) so many people denigrating underground micro budget no budget fringe cinema Yep. somebody needs to be out there this is worthwhile Mm -hmm. this is still art there's uh, You should be checking this stuff out. It's history. It's not like the vast majority of bullshit that's getting tossed out there right now on streaming that has no character, it has no story, and no point of view. It is the worst kind of exploitation. While Andy Milligan's films may be straight-up crass exploitation at times, he's an interesting character. And because of this, his films become interesting by proxy. <laughs> so I'm glad we did this. I'm really glad. And we only have two episodes left that. Next. No. next one we're we're gonna be doing is the weirdo, which Jesus yeah, fucking Christ. No. Why did I have to watch the weirdo three times? <laughs> we, this is the second time we've done this. Uh Vaughn and I did an episode of his podcast. Go check it out, motionpictureMassacre.com uh, we did an episode with fucking rats are coming. Werewolves are here and the weirdo there. We're going to do it again here. We're going to do that in monstrosity. And then our final episode in two months is going to be surgical Kill*, which is his final film that he made in the 90s. And then only because it took us a really long time to finally get a copy of this movie. It, the man with two heads. Right. That's what it's called. Right. Yes.
6: Yep, that's what it's called.
5: Yep. So we'll be doing that. And it has nothing thematic to do with anything. It just it took us forever to find the goddamn movie. <laughs> mm-hmm. So that's what's going down. So that's it. And then we're gonna be moving on. Astro Radio Z is gonna be moving back to old school hijinks. We're gonna be bringing back some old stuff. We're gonna be trying some new stuff. But Andy Milligan is gonna be done, hopefully. 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 Yeah. So maybe maybe everyone keeps reminding like I said before everyone keeps reminding me there's more Puppet Master movies but fuck you I ain't doing no more Puppet Master yeah, movies I no on this. Ever do those movies no fuck that shit so anyways no, this is the portion of the show where my guests shamelessly shill the fuck out of you Evan as I always try and give you the opportunity do you have any final words or any shills you want to do
7: I just want to apologize that one of my smoke detectors battery decided to die <laughs> while we're recording
5: well, this is only like a three-hour episode. True, so there, was,
7: there was ample time, I guess. But no, I don't have anything to say tonight. It's late.
5: Do you want to plug? Do you want to plug your Twitter at uh, edg4? All right. So if you want to go talk to Andy Milligan, which Evan loves talking about Andy Milligan endlessly, go there on Twitter and and give him a follow. Vaughn,
6: show your ass off. So starting this month, January twenty. 20- 20 will be marking 11 years as a podcast which is frightening. Um, I've been doing this as long as I've been married and that'll end soon but this won't. Anyway, if you'd like to listen to me by myself talk about the same kind of stupid shit you're hearing here um, you can check it out at motionpicturemasker at G. Oh fuck I did it again. I do this all the time every time I fucking plug myself. I put my email for some stupid reason. Motion dot you can listen to me there. I'm on here. I'm on a bunch of other things. But this is the best place you can find me. So that's pretty much it. Thanks for
5: listening, folks. And we'll catch you next month.
0: Thank you for listening to Astro Radio Z. Astro Radio Z 134 has been hosted, produced, and edited by Derek Carey, Daniela Dinfield, Angelique Bone, Eric Stingline, and Evan Shelton. For more information, and to talk to the hosts online, join the All the Gimmicks Facebook group, and or find us on Twitter at Astro Radio Z. Music played on this episode, which we urge you to go purchase and support, can all be found on Bandcamp.com. Mayhem, Agenda Ignis. My Dying Bride, Your Broken Shore. Oingo Boingo, No One Lives Forever. Discount, Savior of Nothing. Chew, Repeat Offenders. If you would like to hear more than your regular releases of Astro Radio Z, go over to our Patreon page. For the low price of $1 a month, you will receive monthly bonus episodes and much more. Check out what we have to offer and join us for the ultimate ARZ experience at patreon.com forward slash all the gimmicks. Enjoy the remaining moments of your mortal existence Astro Zombies. Astro Radio Z will return next month, from the bowels of healthier blown out speakers.
3: Bust you into boy. If it tickles my fancy, I can be mean, boy. So don't get me riled up. Don't make me angry. Don't make me mad. Don't make me a hostile Or I'll get excited. Stay away from my baby. That's my ring on her finger. I can be mean. Get me riled up. Don't make me angry. Don't make me mad. Don't fool around. Got my eyes on you. Don't fool around. Whatever you do, don't call her name, boy. Don't call her number. You're looking for trouble. If you know what I mean, boy I can be mean, boy But so don't get me riled up Don't make me angry Don't make me mad Don't fool around I got my eyes on you Don't fool around Whatever you do Don't call her name, boy Don't call a number, you're looking for trouble, if you know what I mean boy, I can be mean boy, so don't get me riled up, don't make me angry, don't make me mad, please don't make me mad, don't make me mad.